tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. Emma is looking after the programme uh, today. Emma, thanks to my colleague Ali for looking after you so well on Tip Today last week. Coming up on this morning's show, 95% of parents diagnosed with a Down syndrome baby choose abortion. We'll be chatting about that in just a few moments' time. Drug shortages out there, cough syrup, aspirin in short supply, Calpol, all of that. Uh, We have more on whether speed bands are intentionally out to make money. What is a kin keeper and why are women making a stand uh, where this is concerned? We have some global politics with uh, Thomas Conway. We have reaction to Prince Harry and that bombshell ITV interview that aired last night. So all of that and much, much more on the way. Quick look at the headlines in your newspapers today. The Irish Times, hundreds of hospitals um, hundreds in hospitals indeed while 1,000 care home beds are empty. About 1,000 nursing home beds lie empty across the state. That's according to a new survey. While hundreds of well patients remain in hospital due to a lack of discharge options. Also on the Irish Times today, Pat Leahy is writing that the Irish and British governments and the EU will renew efforts this week to release to reach a fresh agreement on the operation of the Northern Ireland Protocol in advance of yet another deadline on January 19th to call a new uh, Stormont election. Uh, the Irish Independent uh, leading with that story that 200 key medicines uh, now out of stock as supplies dry up. And also a picture of Prince Harry uh, on the front of the Indo last night uh, in that uh, controversial interview that we will get to later on in the programme as well. Rather unfortunate <laughs> photograph from last night's uh, Dancing with the Stars of Shane Byrne and his partner uh, Karen uh, Byrne. It's a rather odd picture to say the very least, but there you go. If you saw that last night, I didn't see it. If you saw it, you might like to uh, have a word with us about it as well. And also an interesting one that I would imagine will cause a bit of a row as well. Um, on the examiner today, the asylum system uh, will have to be expanded to include a new category for people fleeing the effects of climate change, the Integration Minister has said. Uh, He's uh, Roderick O'Gorman, as you know. And he also believes that the visa system should be widened to allow more economic migrants into this country in the coming years to fill positions where there are currently skills shortages. So that's an interesting one. I'm sure you might have uh, an opinion on that. The Irish Daily Mail. And again, parents fear for supplies of Calpol is their banner headline there. So that's uh, just a quick peek at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. Now, the father of a man with Down syndrome has appealed to hospitals to give potential parents more support following a diagnosis. Michael O'Dowd's son, Connor, has delivered a letter to Professor Fergal Malone, Master of Dublin's Rotunda Hospital, in response to comments he made in December that 95% of parents diagnosed with a Down syndrome baby uh, choose abortion. Michael, a former mayor of Drogheda, and an aunt to a representative, joins me now. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Fran. And appreciate your time this morning. Will you tell me about your son, Connor, because he was particularly upset by this. He was, yes. Connor is very proud of, of uh, 
having Down syndrome, very proud of, of the fact that, uh, you know, he is different uh, and uh, also very protective of uh, his buddies that would also have Down syndrome. So he was, uh, you know, quite uh, shocked when he read this uh, online, uh, the, these comments by Professor Malone and decided to write a letter in, in to him just asking him uh, to uh, what he said in the letter was tell the truth. Now we're not suggesting that the hospital were, were, were telling lies but what he meant was tell the whole truth because hospitals generally maternity hospitals, obstetricians when they give a diagnosis of Down syndrome they usually concentrate on the medical problems that may arise uh, and don't talk about the the social model of integration and the positive aspects and the positive and long and fulfilling life that people with Down syndrome do lead in, in this day and age. So so I suppose that's where, where he was coming from. And we often hear about those positives, Michael, but on this programme and many other programmes like it, we also hear about the difficulties in uh, getting services and getting help and support uh, where having a child with disabilities are concerned. Does that play into this in some way? Well, well, it, 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 I think it would in terms of if you're, uh, you know, a potential parent and got the diagnosis and would look around and would see that, frankly, that the government and the HSE are letting parents mm. and, and, and children and people with disabilities, letting them down left, right and centre. So it certainly would, would play into it. I know since Connor was born, I've spent many hours and many days rattling buckets in front of people, raising yeah. money, yeah. Uh, looking for changes in, in policy and, and implementation. Uh, so, so, yes, the government would certainly have uh, a major role to play in terms of making that decision to to choose life for those parents, uh, make it easier. Uh, But even still, a person with Down syndrome, a life is is absolutely worth living. Many of uh, these uh, parents make the decision after the 12 weeks, which means that they have to go out of the country as well. So uh, travel is very much still with us where, where abortion is concerned, Michael. Oh, it is, and and, and that's and that's, that's not going to change. Uh, but I, I would certainly would would, would oppose the uh, the change in in the twelve weeks because I mean I think it's very clear now that if that was suggested, it would be to facilitate the termination of lives of people with Down syndrome. So I think that should be opposed, you know, around the country. But 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 nobody's suggesting that the the rules in relation to travel should be changed. That that's the law of the land. No, uh, I think the best way, you know. To to, uh, to to increase the number of, of babies born with Down syndrome is to give the full the full facts the, the the positives as well as the negatives to potential parents and to improve the support system within within the country for people with disabilities. Hearing from somebody like yourself would be very important to a decision being made on this as well, Michael. I mean, is that something you've thought about? Yes, uh, there was a really uh, interesting study done uh, into uh, the information that's given to parents uh, uh, in in Ireland. It was published in the Journal of of Intellectual Disability. And the requests from parents, and these were parents that the baby was born and and they just found out for the first time, but the requests from parents was that much more information, particularly access to online support groups, uh, would be made available to, to parents. And, you know, some of those online support groups are really brilliant in terms of giving the, the, the both sides of the coin, the, the positives and the negatives, uh, and also where to seek support uh, and, and, you know, how to make 
an informed decision. And I think that's really what, what we're looking for, is parents would make an informed decision when they when they get the news. Uh, at present, there's far too much emphasis on the medical model of disability, the problems that will be associated with it, and, and that needs to change. Can I ask you about your own experience with uh, Connor, Michael? At, at what point did you discover that Connor was Down syndrome? Well, we, we discovered it within, I suppose, within hours of birth. And we were very lucky insofar as we had a very supportive and very positive uh, obstetrician that, that gave the news. And uh, just as a, an amusing uh, note, uh, I remember uh, say he asked me had I uh, had I any issues. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I was hoping to have a son that would be able to, to play football with loud. And he turned to me and he said, did you play football with Lyle? <laughs> and I had, to, I had to admit I didn't. And he said, well, he probably won't play with Lyle, but he will play football. Yes. And, you know, that encapsulated his attitude and a, a very positive one. And it put me, brought me back to earth. Yes. And uh, but, can I ask you, and uh, I don't want to invade your privacy too much, but did, did it take long for you to get your head around? And I, I mean, obviously yourself and your wife as well, Michael, to get your head around the fact that Connor was Down syndrome? Well, 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 I think I think if you, if, you, if you read the you know the experiences of, of parents, they talk about a period of mourning for the child that they, they expected, mm. and that the child that they are now getting is different. Uh, but it's a wonderful experience. It take it took me a lot longer than my wife, who immediately accepted Connor and 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 said, you know, this is this is my child, and I'm going to I got to love and cherish him. And maybe a few days later, uh, I said, you know what, you're right, let's do it. And there hasn't been a moment of regret since. And and no moment along the way of regret at all. No, and now what there has been, and and this is to be perfectly honest, there's been a lot of battles with the mm. Department of Education, with the Department of Health, with the HSE, uh, and they some of them now the Department of Education uh, were, were quite good uh, attitudes in there changed very quickly, but Department of Health and HSE, you know, they're, they're just still living in the in the 1970s, in my opinion. And and that's been your experience for all those years. Uh, it has, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately. It was interesting to see that the authors of the 2020 study um, reporting that mothers reported negative experiences with medical staff, including a lack of compassion and pressure to terminate their pregnancy and pessimistic expectations as well. Did that surprise you? It, 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 it disappoints me. It disappoints me. Uh, I think that they, they, there's almost uh, a routine has now been set in place because what we are hearing anecdotally, anecdotally is that parents have been told that this condition, with their terminology, can be medically managed, uh, and that is a euphemism for abortion. While they talk about that the uh, information they give is non-directive, with 95% of people chosen terminations, it's it's directive in all but name. So it's disappointing. But what we're what we're asking for really is that hospitals, maternity hospitals, will have a fresh look at the information that they give, uh, and will will we'll give much more of the positive aspects of having a child with Down syndrome. I was interested with the figure as well, 95%, because I was looking around at other countries, and it seems to be around 80%. So it's considerably higher. It's considerably higher. In, 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 now, in, in this one hospital, uh, we don't know what the, what the national figure is for the country. So, uh, Professor Malone was talking about his experience in the Rotunda Hospital. It is considerably higher. It's considerably higher as far as we know uh, in relation to other hospitals in Ireland. But again, we don't have those those figures. Um, so, you know, there, there are plenty of reasons for the Rotunda to look at their practices in, in relation to diagnosis of, of, of children with, with Down syndrome. 
And we, you know, I would ask him to do that. Right. And now you know that the professor says that uh, he, they and his staff, uh, they don't advocate for uh, termination. He says that's just the lived experience. Do you do you accept that, Michael? Well, um, the, the, lived, the lived experience of, of some parents that have gone through Dublin hospitals, I'm not saying it's a rotunda, is, as I have said, that they have been told that this condition can be medically managed and that they, they were given a lot of information negative information uh, and not the positive aspects of it. Um, so, so again, I would say my lived experience and the lived experience of the vast majority of parents I know with children with Down syndrome is very, very positive. Right. Uh, Connor hasn't uh, received a, um, a reply yet, has he, to that letter? No, he hasn't. He hasn't received a reply. I, I'd be disappointed if he doesn't, but as, as we speak, he hasn't. All right. So, Michael, a happy new year to you and Connor and your family. And thanks for talking to me today. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. There's Michael O'Dell there, whose son Connor uh, delivered that letter to the uh, master of Dublin's Rotunda Hospital in response to those comments that uh, the master made in December that 95% of parents diagnosed with a Down syndrome baby choose abortion where the Rotunda is uh, concerned. How do you feel about that? 1800 938 007. 18 past nine right now. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. A listener says, I'm working with people with uh, intellectual disabilities and a lot of them have Down syndrome. Uh, they are the most lovable people ever. They cheer me up uh, when I'm having a bad day at work. The crack we have them uh, with them is just brilliant, brilliant, and they love the banter. You couldn't ask uh, to work with a better group of people. I've noticed in the last few years that a lot of them are getting dementia in their 30s. Uh, the parents always have to fight to get everything for their children. I don't know where they get the energy. Uh, their families are amazing advocates for them, says one of our listeners. Somebody else taking issue with uh, Roderick O'Gorman, uh, saying we're now seeing the real Roderick O'Gorman. Last week he said he wants to introduce more transgender education in primary school and now he wants to flood the country with economic migrants as if housing, health, education systems are not under enough pressure already, says B, who's in casual today. And that's making reference to that piece in the Examiner today where Roderick O'Gorman is saying that the asylum system will have to be expanded to include a new category for people fleeing the effects of climate change. So, uh, again, what do you think of that? 1800-938-007. Now, right across the newspapers today, we're reading that drugs needed by patients for blood pressure and serious pain are among a range of uh, over 200 medicines now out of stock amid a growing shortage of essential treatments, a new index revealing. Um, as winter increase, uh, the illness surge... Um, Common cold and flu medicines are becoming very difficult to get hold of in many of our pharmacies. Well, Jimmy O'Sullivan is uh, the proprietor of O'Sullivan's Pharmacy in Featherton joins me now. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning, Fran, and a happy New Year to you. And many happy returns. Lovely to talk to you, Jimmy. Is yes, is this true? Is there a shortage um, uh, to this scale, Jimmy? There is a huge shortage, Fran. Uh, it's, not, it's not like complete shortage, but it's a shortage. 
but it, it is very it's a very serious shortage I've never seen anything like what we're going through at the moment but also I haven't I've never seen so many people so sick I, I haven't seen anything since Christmas it has been so 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 busy I mean We've had families coming in after Christmas saying, like, a whole, whole family stayed in bed Christmas Day, didn't yeah. even get up to open their Santa presents, you know. So people are so, so sick at the moment. I just haven't seen anything like it. So what what drugs in particular, I mean, what you're saying to me there would lead me to believe that, you know, the the over-the-counter cold and flu treatments, is that, is that what's yeah, really hit? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, like, I just did a quick, like, say, Benlin, which would be a, one of the major cough yes. mixtures. I don't like mentioning names, but like I just say that. Like they have fourteen or twelve different products that they have on their shelf. We were able to get four of them at the moment. Oh. And you know, they might have five of those for kids. There is one there is one line still available. Um so like if you're specific to I need a certain cough bottle then well maybe you can't get that. But there are some alternatives but it is very, very tight at the moment. Like we have literally empty shelves, but there are some cough bottles on it. So it, it is very serious, but it isn't a complete shutdown. You know, there is there is availability of some things, and we can, you know, be able to maybe suggest something else instead of the one maybe you're looking for an alternative. So we have ways around it, but at the same time, I don't want people to panic and think they have to buy in cough bottles. Just have them in case they get sick. Don't do that. Um, because that, it, that will it, only it, make things worse, I would imagine. Absolutely. Is, is it about the surge in illness or is there something else behind the shortages, Jimmy? Well, we've seen that the shortages have been going on since the middle of December uh, before this surge in sickness. But if you think of the companies that are producing these things, they've looked at their sales of cough mixtures over the last two years and they've sold nothing because we didn't have any coughs or colds for the last two or three years. Because we were all wearing our masks. Yes. So now they're they're looking at uh, this surge as we were all saying the perfect storm of COVID and RSV and influenza. That's all happening at the moment, and then the demand, the supply. They just haven't manufactured enough to to um, to be able to supply the market at the moment. Right. You know? Does does China play a part in this? In what way? In in terms mean? of the production of some of these uh, drugs, no. is that no? No. Okay. No, they will all be. You know, they're they're actually. Say a cost mixture is a liquid, so it would be impractical for them to produce uh, okay. that in China and get it out here. So they would all be produced within the EU. Right. More worrying, I suppose, would be antibiotics and serious pain medication, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. So um, antibiotics for, for children is partic- our particular worry, I suppose, at the moment. Um, amoxicillin would be our biggest, um, and penicillin. So they were, that, that was about two or three weeks ago, there was a, that that strep A uh, throat infection yes. that people were concerned about. And that they would be the two antibiotics that would be used for that. And they ran into shortage. But the amoxicillin is back now. So we're getting it in in dribs and drabs. But it just means that we have to say I'm over at work about an hour before work now. Just getting onto the system, seeing what's available, trying to order it in. Because if you don't, if you're not on the system and you're not watching, like and we, there could be three, two to three hundred products that we have to enter in manually every day, until it comes, you know, and see if it's on the system. We don't get any warning that it's back or whatever. Also, that injection that we're using for diabetes, Ozempic, mm. yes. um, that's completely out of stock as well. And, and that is a huge problem because people uh, are depending on that for, to control their diabetes. The reason for that going out of, uh, out of supply was because it's now being used as a weight loss treatment 
aside from being whether you're diabetic or not. Um, and people who are, are inject this every week and it, the, the weight literally is is falling off people. Mm. So that, that surge in that end of the product has caused a, a kickback to the other, um, the other, the original use that it is for, for diabetes. So a lot of our diabetics are in trouble. So right. like there's just, it, it is, and on top of that, it's extremely busy because people are so sick. So it's, it's kind of, it, it's, um, it's very, very difficult doing our job at the moment. Um, the other side, you were saying about antibiotics. So if, if a GP, say, prescribes an antibiotic for a child and we don't have it, so then we have to ring the GP back, probably waiting, because they're so busy as well, yeah. waiting a half an hour, an hour, for them to say, OK, give this instead. Um, and then we have a sick child there who's waiting for their prescription. You're kind of, you know, trying to get the whole thing. So it's very, very stressful. But at the moment, there's a move to try and allow us as pharmacists uh, with our expertise in medicine to maybe substitute that antibiotic for another antibiotic yes. for, yeah. for that child. And that would make a lot of sense. But um, I don't know, there, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of opposition to that. Is there? And where, where does yeah. that opposition come from? It's coming from the Department of Health, I suppose, insofar as it's not an opposition, but they're kind of dragging their heels yeah, for a long yeah. time. I mean, we, like, we have a lot of expertise as pharmacists, um, but we're not allowed to prescribe. Um, now, nurses are now allowed to prescribe. Um, so you have a, a nurse practitioner who can prescribe, and they have a set number of uh, products uh, or medicines that they can prescribe, including, you know, the lower level, milder antibiotics. But we can't do that. So uh, trying to get the political move to get that mm. moving is, is, is quite difficult. And, and what's the setup in other countries where that's concerned? Can a pharmacist prescribe in, in other jurisdictions? Yes, we're the only one in Europe. Now are that, you serious? Uh, yeah, yeah. We're the only one that can't do that. In the UK, they actually brought in legislation, emergency legislation, a couple of weeks ago because of the strep A throat infection that was uh, prevalent yes. in, in around uh, that they could substitute without having to refer back to the GP. Now, we speak to our GPs every day and they said, look, if this happens, you know, you can do do this, but that doesn't cover us uh, from, I suppose, a legal point of view. Of you course, know? yeah. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, when you talk about substitution, can the generic drugs um, fill a gap here anyway? Uh, yes and no. Um, so we're not talking about, we're, we're not talking about, say, going from an original brand to a, a generic. So, say, um, say, amoxicillin would be the generic brand. So that is the drug that's in the product. So we're saying to actually move to a different molecule. So from amoxicillin to maybe, a, a, you know, Augmentin or something like that. But then Augmentin isn't available. So, yeah, right. it's, it's, a, it's a big, big problem at the moment. But, right. um, and and of course, the, the fact that we're a relatively small country in terms of buying power, um, does that play yeah. into this in some way as well, Jimmy? <laughs> Yeah, no, you're going to start me on a rant now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, say for, like particularly for, say, medicines for blood pressure or something like that, um, the HSE are paying the, the manufacturer, say, whatever, you know, a very low fee for what they produce, okay? So maybe in Sweden or whatever, they're giving them one year extra. So if they produce a million product, million boxes of this anti, uh, you know, anti-hypertensive mm. or blood pressure medicine, they're going to sell it to Sweden. They're not going to sell it to Ireland, but they're getting very little for it. So that is where a lot of the economics in, in, the, in the supply chain is, is based on that. So um, I don't think the HSE have, in, have increased their, their payment or, you know, allowed any of the manufacturers any little extra for the last 
supply of six, seven years. So, yeah. you know, they, they're all running. I find that kind of interesting yeah. because, I mean, you know, we're more expensive for drugs here than other countries who seem to be, yeah. uh, and we're paying less for them. So it's yeah, yeah. So it is. It is a big. It, it is a big. Um, but other countries are paying more, you yes, know. Yes. So they're they're getting they're getting a better supply. I think Brexit had an, an, an influence on that as well because most of our medicines would come in as branded, being the, the legislation would be UK and Ireland. So uh, you know that had all had all that had to change. So our supply maybe is coming from some of the other uh, European countries. So right. that that probably has an impact as well. Can yeah. I ask for your advice for people, Jimmy, in terms of going to the pharmacy and what you should be purchasing for colds and flus and that kind of thing? Um, yeah. What about that at this point with the shortages? Well, I mean, your your basic your basic medicine at the moment is ibu- uh, paracetamol mm. and ibuprofen. So Panadol, Neurofen. So they're your two. So they're going to keep your temperature down, help that fever, help any aches and pains. And also to know that you can take both together. So people kind of t- think they can only have Panadol or Paracetamol or they can only have Neurofen, Ibuprofen. But you can alternate. So we'd often recommend where the temperature would be going quite high that you would take your Paracetamol now. And then three hours later, you take your ibuprofen. And that keeps the top on that temperature going up too much. And uh, as, and uh, this also holds for children as well. So their neurofen, their calcul, which is ibuprofen and paracetamol as well. So that helps uh, that. A lot of people have, you know, colds and flus. Sinus issues are a big problem at the moment. Yeah. So often the sinus can cause, you know, your, your sinus is the back of your nose. And that can, you know, be quite congested and feel quite heavy. So most of that mucus then will drop down onto your throat. So it kind of causes what I call a throat cough or a sinus cough. So it's kind of like, <coughs> mm. so it's a, a kind of a barky kind of cough without it being a chest infection or down deep in your chest. So that that can be dealt with quite easily, you know, with a bit of steam, a bit, a bit of maybe honey and lemon in a warm drink or something like that. And that tends to cut the... Um, cut the, the mucus on the throat and also just to blow your nose really hard. Mm. So if you're in the shower or whatever, try and blow your nose, bring it back and bring it forward. And then once you can clear your sinuses, then it will stop dripping and that cough will clear up. And also by, by that persistent cough, it's causing a sore throat. So there's a lot of symptoms kind of jumping together. But the people I suppose that are really sick are, are the people with the RSV or the influenza. Literally, like you're, on, you're in bed, you can't move. And really, they need to be conscious take their paracetamol, take their ibuprofen. If it's a really deep chesty cough, something like Extratex would be very good. Also vapour for everyone like the Vic that you rub on your chest would be excellent as well. But if you're really sick, you know, and I know the doctors are busy, mm. do, you know, you'll you know yourself, okay, this has gone a little bit more serious than Yes, and, and I suppose particularly people. if there's an underlying condition, Jimmy, you have to Absolutely. be particularly conscious of it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. When, when do you think uh, things will be back to normal in terms of uh, the, the medicines on your shelves? Um, so, I mean, like the, the Benlin people are telling us it's going to be March because they don't they haven't even manufactured, they haven't even started, started manufacturing yet. But there's bits and pieces coming in all the time. So throat spray was gone there and that came back in on Saturday. So, you, you, we just don't know what, what is going on. And then I suppose you have the other side of it because every pharmacy in the country is in the same boat. Yes. So everyone is trying to get, so they are restricting the amount each pharmacy gets, which is probably a good thing because at least, there's, you know, you haven't got one particular person taking the whole lot and everyone else without them. Mm. So it, it's probably good. Um, 
Yeah, I'm just just looking at the screen in front of me. A few few people inquiring about that uh, weight loss um, a diabetes medicine you were talking about, where, where you inject it. There's a huge interest in this out there, Jimmy. Um, I'm telling you, January, yeah. January, yeah. get out and walk. But yeah. look, it's not, it's not. This is not the time to be looking for it because it is not. Um, like it's not covered on your any of your schemes. So your medical card scheme or your drug payment scheme you're talking yes. about. You, you, know, you have to have diabetes, haven't you? To be covered with that. So, yes. And then if yeah. you don't, if it's weight loss, you're talking about between 150 and 200 euros a month, you know. But um, it is it is working for people. I right. just, I won't say any more on it than that. But, it <laughs> right. is, but it's not, it's it's not in, in pharmacies at the moment. Can't get it. And if you come in with, with um, uh, there is another one which is available. It's it's a, it's a, it isn't a, a sex end, but that is to the GP, and uh, that works really well. But I mean, you're even you're talking even another hundred euros uh, a month for that as well. But look, um, some people, I mean, we have people that say are heading to maybe hip operations, whatever, and the, there's consultants saying, look, you have to lose weight before you get it on it. And it, we had one patient, and it worked really well for them, and uh, they did it that way, you know. Mm. But there's like it's January, so. There's no, and I think today is Blue Mondays. I think because it's the full. But anyway, the uh, you know, I think get out, get a bit of that fresh air, get a bit of that light out there, and uh, enjoy your walk and or whatever exercise you're doing, and you know that, and get your, you know, get your focus on how what you're eating. Uh, no, not dieting, not, not doing anything like that, but just you know, being sensible and and eating eating nicely for mm-hmm. the next couple so, of weeks. So look know? look after yourself, I suppose is the message. Jimmy, uh, happy New Year to you and your family. Thank you for your time two, today. Thank friend, you. sorry. Yes, friend. yes, Jimmy. Yeah. Two, two things. Would people just start wearing their masks for the next two weeks? I think it would be a great idea because it would stop the spread of this uh, influenza that's going. Um, COVID is also still going, but people are not sick with the COVID. People are sick with the other two. And vaccinate, if you're not covered for your flu or for your influenza vaccination, get it done because it definitely will uh, help you. Because if you get two together, like it, it, it's going to be very serious. And right. we're vaccinating every day without an appointment. All right, so just, just just walk in, Jimmy. Walk in, okay. walk in. Bring, All right, bring your EPS number with you. Thanks All right, thanks, thanks, Jimmy. Thank you, but you know that's uh, pharmacist Jimmy O'Sullivan of O'Sullivan's very fine pharmacy in Feathert. Uh, speak to us there. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double seven. The text and WhatsApp is only three three double one double three double one. Fran, I had an awful flu over Christmas, but I dealt with it in a herbal way, so no no problem there, and it cleared up very quickly. When I'm Delighted to hear that. I had a, a flu as well, even though man flu, of course, it was called at home. But um, after Christmas, yeah, and it, it, it really, it laid me low. I had to take to the bed, as they say. Only uh, three, three, double one, double three, double one. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, that uh, listener kind of crossed with me because I didn't read all of the content of the text. Uh, This is the person who said I had an awful flu over Christmas. I dealt with it in my own way with a herbal remedy. No problem cleared up very quickly. And the person going on to say, why are doctors educated in this manner? Uh, It's all a money racket and a healthy patient is money lost. 
to pharmacies and doctors. So that's the entire uh, text uh, there. And um, the listener was rather cross about that. Um, just texting to mention, there are three huge potholes in our locality. My daughter had to get a new tyre on Saturday. The pothole is at the top of uh, uh, Greg, I think, Gertnahu. And also there's a huge one near Ronan's uh, coming in from Two Mile Burris. And hopefully somebody from the council will hear this and do something about it. The tyre, including tracking, cost €120. It's just not good enough. But we're enjoying the show, Fran. Thank you. You're very welcome indeed. Coming out of Dundrum, there's huge potholes uh, as well. And, And again, that rundown from Dundrum to Dundrum House potholes everywhere and the amount of people and refugees walking in that way um, on that road, it's very 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 dangerous indeed, so again if the powers that be are listening, maybe something could be done uh, about that. Now a warning has been issued by the Health Service Executive and the Gardaí over packaged sweets suspected of containing synthetic cannabinoids and Gardaí said they recently seized a large quantity of the jellies during a search operation in Clonmel late last week. Now, in a statement, the HSE uh, said that a number of people were hospitalised last month in the Tipperary area after consuming these jellies because they contained new and risky substances known as synthetic cannabinoids. Now, Vilma uh, joins me to share her concerns on this. Vilma, good morning to you. Yeah, hello, good morning. And lovely to talk to you today, Vilma. You're very concerned about this. Well, obviously, um, there is a lot of people in hospitals about this kind of situation. And there is not much that we can we can do to avoid, except, I believe, warning uh, young people and being aware of what, they, what they're taking for. Yeah, it's quite concerning, actually. Isn't it? Just And uh, the fact that these synthetic uh, drugs are packaged in a sweet-like substance, it makes it very attractive to young people. That's part of the danger, Vilma. Definitely. And even those who may not be aware of what they're taking, uh, there must be quite a lot of people who probably they didn't know what they were ingesting. Yeah, and the fact that they were hospitalised is very, very serious uh, indeed. It's also bringing younger um, kids into that sort of drug atmosphere and that drug availability and all of that, isn't it? Yeah, sadly, that's something that we will be seeing increasing. And the last, say, 20 years has been increasing and young people have been starting to see this as something quite normal. And uh, I just tell you, um, since I've been working with people with addictions and for 20 years of my life as well, um, I just tell you that it starts with small things, with trying few new bits and stuff, and at the end of the day, they end up not knowing how to get out of it. Yeah, tell me about that, Vilma, because that's often argued against by people who say that, you know, cannabis should be legal, uh, marijuana should be yeah. legal, that sort of thing, that it's, you know, it's a recreational drug and that it doesn't necessarily lead on to Class A drugs. But that's not your experience, is it? No, no, it's not. Well, um, I have been around a lot of people with addiction and they have started with trying out with weed, like 99% of the people who I met over over the years, they started it with recreational drugs. And it goes increasingly. Some people are managed to keep in control. You know, it's some kind of like the alcohol. Some people manage to get control. Mm. 
And some people just go very deep. But how would you know who end up hot completely? And so are you against the notion of legalisation of, of drugs then or certain categories of drugs? Well, uh, I am, you know, because it's something that you don't want to see people taking as normal. I know that it will happen eventually, it will be legalised and it will be bringing probably uh, less criminal activity. But believe me, the gangs and criminals will find another way of inventing something new and starting another trend. Yes, so because I the underworld will always find a way to, to make profits, illegal yeah. profits in some way. It's yeah. going to be jellies, it's going to be something else later with another kind of drug. So, for yeah. getting money, they will be always getting sharp minds. And again, in your experience, Vilma, of dealing with people with addiction, are things getting considerably worse, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Like, it's more availability. Uh, people starting things more like normal. Parents are starting to feel that, well, there's something that they can't do to avoid uh, their children to take. And, yeah, it's part of society now. In cocaine, it's something that's so normal. Yes. And, I mean, while we've heard about the, these uh, kids who have been hospitalised because of this, I mean, we don't hear about all the... The, the young people who are taking this maybe on a regular basis and buying this stuff on a regular basis? Yeah, well, um, I just don't know. I just feel that if by talking this to the radio and asking people to educate themselves about the effect, I know that we probably have a lot of people mocking or laughing about this time, or believe, but if it's only for one person who avoids getting into these kind of things by talking openly about it. And he says that the effects of even in your brain, it brings quite consequences in long term. If it's only by one person who listens and just decides to not continue or not to do it, not to try, I think it's worth it. Yes. Are, are you particularly concerned over uh, the inclusion of the synthetic cannabinoid in there. It's it's not cannabis, it's it's sort of a made up yeah. version of a, some sort of chemical version of, of cannabis and, and it seems to be particularly dangerous. Yeah, it is, it is worse. It's like methadone for heroin addicts, it's synthetic as well. And the effects and is way worse than than the heroin itself, you know. I have met a man who was six years in methadone and uh, it was he was way worse than what he was on the heroin itself. Wow. So, yeah, it's synthetic. It's like putting uh, well, artificial stuff in your body. It's very interesting. Vilma, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for your time Thank this morning. You. Thank you. Good morning to you and a happy new year to you as well, Vilma. Thank you for that. Let's go to Helen now. Helen, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are I'm you? I'm very well indeed, Helen. What are your thoughts about this, Helen? I think it's a very worrying trends that this synthetic cannabis is being put into attractive looking sweeties are usually jellies and I think the salient point is is that the amount of the um, synthetic cannabis that is being put in uh, is uncontrolled so that some of the products may be safe but the vast majority are not because the quantity is uncontrolled and it's that quantity of the synthetic cannabis that is causing such devastating results. 
Yeah, you also have concerns that, you know, this is a situation where obviously hospitalisation is needed and that adds to the already chaotic situations in A&E and all of that as well. Yes, it does. Uh, back, back in 1980, there were 10 hospital beds per 1,000 people in Ireland. We now have two hospital beds per, per 1,000. Wow. So... That puts a squeeze straight away on a person being treated in the hospital. And, of course, where do those extra uh, patients go? They land up in in corridors. So when something happens to, like, a person having a bad side effect to this synthetic cannabis, they arrive in A&E. Time is of the essence, which could be waiting there 21 to 24 hours. That makes a difference between life or death. And that's the worry. And and then when it comes to the fact that children are being targeted with this, yes, which, yeah. to my mind, is the worst crime of all. Absolutely, because these things... I, I, I was looking at some pictures this morning on, online, Helen. I'm not sure if you saw them yourself, but, I mean, these are attractive-looking things, and I could understand even why a small child, if they saw them, would, would consume quite a few of them, which could be lethal. Yes, I was looking at the packaging, and some of them looked like some of the very famous American and English-based uh, jelly companies. And the colouring is the right. The, the print of the names would be similar. So anybody would say, oh, that'll do me, and grab it. Uh, and now the other wor- worrying thing is that last Halloween, particularly in the UK, these sweets were being given out to kiddies for trick-or-treating. Good and God. that that wow. is criminal. I and mean, the little gorillas who do My that God. target children in that manner. Are you serious, Helen? I'm dead serious, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that could have been tragic, you know? That could have been. And here is the other thing, Fran. These synthetic uh, um, cannabis sweets are freely available online. I did a bit of research over the weekend. And you can get what you want. And the prices, some of the prices are quite expensive. For others, €3.50 for a packet. I mean, if you've been told that this is your synthetic cannabis, you'll get your hit with us, you'll take it, if that's what you want so to you do. So you can buy it fairly cheaply online, you're saying? Yeah, and... you can, yeah. And and that's what's happening, that uh, there are uh, others, because you apparently have to be over, over 18 to purchase these products. They buy them and then either sell them on or just give them to kids to get little kids into the line of needing to have um, a cannabis-based product. product. It sounds to me, Helen, you have a background in in, in medicine, do you? In... I have. I have a. I would have a lot of friends who are recovered addicts, and mm. um, I, you know, yeah, I've quite a lot of experience in the area, shall we say? Right. So, uh, and also as a parent, I make sure I educate my, myself. Now, my two, my two are now adults, but mm. are at that point now. Karen and Morris are now thirty-five and thirty-eight, yeah. and we had warnings that there were people giving children sweets on the street, but the sweets were drugs. So we're talking, we're say, 33 years ago. So this isn't today nor yesterday as far as you're concerned then? No, no. but it's become more commonplace and I think that is the worry. And the the problem with trying to get treatment through A&E has, as we know, has become a disaster area. Uh, and, And these are the mounting worries. 
Yeah. It's an incredible figure that you gave me there. And you, you're certain of that, are you? There? I'm absolutely certain the, of that about ten, the beds. Ten beds, yeah. For 1,000 people oh, in 1980. And now, and now in 2022, it was two per 1,000. Also, in 2018, okay. Stephen Donnelly said that it was bordering on uh, elderly abuse to have so many elderly people on trolleys in A&E. And the number was something like 30,000 for the year. He is now presiding over 35,000 and he's saying nothing. And that man is just, you can't see him for dust. And we have a health system that's not just broken. It's, it's a horror sto- story. Yeah, and I mean, only for the goodwill of some of the medical staff over the weekend, uh, working longer hours and working extra shifts and stuff, we, we'd be in a... An even worse situation than we are at the moment, you know. We would because 400 people were discharged over the weekend, yeah. as opposed to was it something like 238 or something yeah. the previous weekend, and that was because of the goodwill of the medical staff who put in those extra hours and blessed them for that. But you know, they, at the end of the day, they're going to suffer for that. And where can they go? Because they're going to be dealing with this failed um, yes. health system. And we're six six years at this point into Schlantecare, you know, which was supposed to be the great uh, cross-party fix of the health service. I, I don't see it fixing anything at the moment. It just provided more jobs for bosses and, cl- and more clipboards and... Uh, medical staff didn't increase. Nurses haven't have got, haven't got better pay or conditions. Uh, there aren't more hospitals open because how the heck can they get more people in the country into beds and get treatment when there are fewer hospitals and fewer hospital beds? They want us to die. It, it literally is that. I mean, I would be terrified to go to A and E now. Would you? I think I'd have to be yeah. carted off unconscious in a, in, a, in an ambulance. And and is that after hearing? I know Ali covered it extensively last week. Is that after hearing some of the horror stories? Uh, it's after hearing them from friends who yeah. have suffered terribly in the hospitals, and then reading about some people who have died in the corridors. They go in to get treatment, and they die. Because they haven't been getting treatment, they haven't been getting medicine. Mm. The nursing staff can't possibly get around to it all. And the also. indignity as well, Helen, you know. It is. You're, you're there being examined. If you're lucky enough to get examined and there's somebody shoulder to shoulder with you and you're being asked personal questions, there is no room for screens to have you properly examined. Now, I, I, a few years, about three years ago, I was up in A&E and they were about to examine me on the corridor without a screen. And I said, no, stop. You, you cannot do this. This is abuse. And what happened? They, brought, they moved me into a side room. All right, but only for you spoke up. Yes. And here's the thing. And there are people who are so ill they can't speak up. Of course. I of also course. worry about... Now, I'm not carrying aspersions against the hospital. But in hospitals where they have closed the doors to visitors and then you have people trying to get into a hospital bed. They're there in the corridor. They're too ill to speak up for themselves. They've got no one to look after them. No one to say, this has to stop. What's happening? Why is this person not being examined? Why is this person being examined without a screen around them? 
Helen, I must leave it there, but thank you so much for coming on with me today, Helen, and look after yourselves. Thank you. Okay, thanks thank very you. much, bye, friend. Bye-bye, Helen. Bye-bye, and happy new year to you as well. 1800-938-007. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Good uh, afternoon, Welcome back to the second hour of tip today. A listener on to say, Fran, you need to find a patient to visit on a daily basis for a full week and observe the activity in the hospital on Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights and you will see firsthand what exactly has the medical personnel under pressure. You need to do that, lad, and come back on air and give us your opinion of what it is you think the problem is. You will not need to have any discussion with anybody in there. Just observe and draw your own conclusions and report back to us Tip FM listeners, it says here. It's interesting that you say Friday, Saturday and Sunday night. So uh, should I read into your text or or your WhatsApp indeed and uh, think that you make out that it's due to what? Post-public house shenanigans or due to drink or something? Is is that the point I wonder you're making? 083-311-3311. Joseph is with me now. Good morning, Joseph. Good morning. And many happy returns to you. You were taking your child to school today, Joseph. I I was going down to uh, pick up my nephew from school, Fred. Yeah. And I was coming down by the post office and I just seen out from the economy a child buggy and uh, a sleeping bag or one of those sleeping things yes. and I just went over and I took a picture of it Brian and as I was just leaving I heard a child crying with someone inside it I don't know friend and I just went on my way and were they was it like a tent or were yeah, they yes yes friend a tent a tent and so and it, it was a baby in there and do you know who else was there I I I said that there could have been a, 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 a young couple or a young parent. I do not know, friend. Right. And that was outside of the post office, Joseph, yes, was it? just outside the post office, friend. Right. And the baby was crying. It, I just heard a young baby cry, and I just went on my way, friend. My God. And were you shocked to see that? I was totally shocked, friend. Yeah. 100%. Because I was seeing the news, though, the weekend... And that protest up in Dublin, and, yeah. and it, brought, it brought back to me like, what, I, I even told my sister, "What's this world coming to?" And and what what do you think this world is coming to, Joseph? I mean, what do you, what do you make of all of this? I I I reckon is the, the homeless, local people, they should be sorted out first, friend. Like I don't get me wrong with the, the Ukraine, <clears throat> excuse me, for the Ukraine and all of this, but the homeless should begin at home, like you know, friends. Mm. Like when people are are um, getting homeless with due to rent or anything like that, friend, and whether young couple, they should be starting out first. 
And what do you make about the newspaper today telling us that Roderick O'Gorman, the minister, he says that the, the whole asylum system will have to be expanded to include even more uh, people, particularly in this case, people fleeing the effects of climate change. So we have to find even even more places. Well, where, where are we going to get this, Brian? We're, 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 we're struggling yeah. as it is. Yeah. I, I, I see it every time if I'm going around the town or if I'm going away, going to any other places. Like, funny enough, right now, I was coming down by the bike shop and I seen a person there sleeping there. Yes. I see it every time, even at night time, if I'm going around the town, going for me walk. I think that, like, you know, is, is, do the actual government, do they actually care? And and you know, are, are these Irish people or are they people seeking accommodation here? Are they people from all the countries? What what do you do you know of them, Joseph? I, I don't know if I you know. know. You yeah. don't know. I've seen one or two people, like, there are Irish and they are homeless. Yeah. But as I said to my sister, do they act, the government up there, do they, do they really care? I don't think they do. They don't care about the Irish. It's no disrespect to the foreign people. But my person, when they come in from different countries, they can get houses, they can get money, they can get cars straight away. And when I see, now when I saw that young person there, she, she could be homeless for a month, a week. We don't know. And when a foreign person comes in, no problem. We'll start you out straight away. Well, I think that well, there are there are problems because even last week we heard in Clare that some of the <laughs> asylum seekers, uh, some of the um, people from Ukraine, even and ended up in in, in tents in Clare because we just can't accommodate people. No. We're, we're so it's amazing. it's not as if that you know it's it's all rosy when people arrive here. No, no. Well, I, I, no, friend. I'm a big listener of you. Thank you. No, no question about it, friend. And I listen to you, and you, you, you state a fact, and you give every person a chance to speak. And, and I, I just think is wrong what we're doing to our, our young homeless people. Yes. When, when people come in here, as I said, dear friend, they get everything and energy. And is that the belief that's out there, Joseph? I mean, the I, people you would know now—is that their belief? I think it is. Like, like if we go into their own country and we come home, God forbid, would we get the same treatment as in there as we get to get to get the same treatment over here? I don't think so. Well, I suppose there, there's different levels of refugees at, at yeah. the moment. There is yeah. a, a human disaster happening, I suppose, in Ukraine, and we have to respond to that in some way. Yeah. But as I see the news the weekend, a lot of people, grown men, come into this country. It was on the 9 o'clock news over the weekend. Mm. And there was a big protest of both in Dublin about this. Yes. And they, they're probably going to get they're probably going to get sorted out in the next few weeks or months, and they'll have cars and they'll have money. And but I, I think we we should begin with our own people. Right. And and do you think the general feeling is that people feel let down by by the government? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I think so. The government don't care, as far as I concerned. Yeah. 
about our own people. And uh, would you prefer to to hear Roderick O'Gorman coming out today, the minister coming out today yeah. and talking about dealing with Irish homelessness as opposed yes. to? Yes. Yeah. Like it's just completely one hundred percent wrong, Brian. Now, as I say, that that, that family um, or, or those people that you came across, we were not sure what the background is there, but we're going to ask no. our own Ali to go down and maybe have a chat with them and, and see what the story is. She might Take report I, back I, to us later. I, I, as I told Ali, when I was dropping off my nephew at school, I came down, came down by the cinema. Yes. And I just went across from the post office and that young person or people were still there. Right, but there's definitely a child there anyway. There was a child there with a, a, a buggy. All right, all right. And and you you found that very sad. I did, Brian. Yeah. I did. Yeah. And I wouldn't wish it on me worst enemy to happen. But as I said, Brian, like, and I taught my sister, something needs to happen. Yeah. But we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we would not want it then. Also come over to there and just as any country get sorted out straight away. Right. And and do you believe, Joseph, and again the people in your circle of friends, do you believe that a cap has to be put in terms of the numbers at this point? Is that is that 100%. what you're saying to me? One hundred percent. We're as as we all say we're our nations with one with thousand welcome. Like you know, we can bring anyone. But I think myself when a young Irish family are homeless they need to be sorted out but yeah. and, 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 and the other nation people coming in here let, let them be sorted out a second but it has to stop here friend all right, I Joseph. Don't. Well, it was good to talk to you today, and thank you for informing us about that. As I say, we'll ask Ali to go down maybe and uh, have a chat with those people and see what their yeah. their circumstances yeah. are. Uh, no, Brian, uh, just one. Yeah. Can I just say to Johnny Newby, he's a one hundred percent of a legend of a man. <laughs> and Brian, now you should have him on more. Do you think so? Um, I, I'm not sure what my nerves allow it, uh, Joseph. <laughs> well, I have to say now, Brian. He gives you a small bit of abuse. Ah, sure he does. He's always on about my weight and everything, you know, the cheek of him and all of that. And and Brian, would you be able to attempt to give me a mention to say hello to me? Of course I will, Joseph. Of course I will. He's a pure legend of (laughs) man. My best to you and your family, Joseph. Thank you. Brian, thank you very much and happy New Year. year. And many happy returns to you. And thank you. Bye-bye. That's uh, Joseph speaking to us this morning from the streets of uh, Clonmel. Now, back to that discussion on the difficulty of getting hold of uh, particular uh, medicines. Uh, Pat joins me now. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Pat, and uh, and many happy returns to you. Um, Tell me about your situation, Pat, because you you needed some medicine, did you? Uh, Well, to be quite honest with you, uh, Fran, I'm on long-term illness. Um, I have a diabetes. I've... I'm a diabetic. Yes. But I, I'm not a shortage. There's no shortage of, of, of my medicines, in, in fairness to my pharmacy. Mm. Um, but I would be uh, worried um, that if there was uh, any shortage of any of the medicines because they're essential for my my health. Um, I, I heard Jimmy O'Sullivan there this morning speaking about the diabetic dro- diabetic insulin that um, people are using for, for weight loss as yes, well. Yes, Ozempic, I think it's diabetes. called, yes. You know, mm. and... Um, uh, my med- my diabetic uh, insulin is not 
that particular one. It's a different brand. Yes. And uh, and I was looking at, at the, the website, the HPRA website uh, this morning, and I keep in touch with that. And you'll actually see the list of, of drugs that are in short supply in Ireland and uh, a possible date of return or whatever the case will be, mm. an update. On. So it, it kind of keeps you abreast. Now, people would have to have faith in, in, in their pharmacy and a good relationship with their pharmacy because they will let you know what the story is. Uh, he, my pharmacy now, a pharmacist, he knows that on a, a monthly basis I have a certain amount of drugs to, to, to collect. Mm. And uh, he always has those in stock and he always has made provision for them. But if there is a manufacturing delay in any of the products, it's out of his hands. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And there seems to be an issue with uh, the HSE buying in drugs here at a very low cost, which puts us at the bottom of the totem pole then when it comes to shortages. Absolutely, because uh, I, I've heard that and I've, I've seen that on, on, on their website, yes. uh, or on one, one particular website, um, that they, because we're such a small country and we're paying so little for uh, some of the drugs that are, are out there, that we will be not in the in the in the pecking chain. There'll be somebody else. Uh, we'll get get it that are paying more. Yes, and know. and that's that's kind of scary when you think about that. Um, we're also hearing that it won't be back to normal. Jimmy was saying until maybe about uh, March or so. February, March. Yes, these yeah. some of the drugs. Are, these no, these are particularly the flu ones, the paracetamol, yes. Panadol, and things like that. Now, they, as I said, the HPRA website, phpra.ie, is a very, very good one because you can actually see the, what drugs are in, in, in short supply and it is the paracetamols and the panadols and the flus, the, 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 the flus, which, you know, the FDA in America, I subscribe to the, the, the New York Times. Right. And I really, when I was subscribing to it, it was just to keep in touch with what was happening with the Trump era mm. over the States. But now I continue the thing because the, there's a lot of information coming from it. Like if if, if there's a flu over there in, in, in uh, the United States. We're going to get pneumonia over here. Right. And, so there, uh, there's always a knock-on effect. So the FDA, that's that's the that's the, the drug FDA, that's right. the drug federation over there, is it? Uh, that's the yeah. It is. You know, the drug yeah. the, the, the drug uh, shortage was flagged back in in September. Was it? Um, they were put it down to, to to this is September now of 2022, and they were flagging it that the, 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 there is a drug shortage. And they'll put it down to because of the pandemic and manufacturing delays. Brexit was one of the things uh, that they mentioned in Biden. Uh, and, of course, the Ukraine war. And there's an awful lot of the drugs, the manufacturing drugs are coming from India. And uh, there's a, a, a constant supply for that one chain uh, from India. Right. Uh, that, that is affecting the supply uh, into the other, like Europe are pulling out of India, the United States are pulling out of India. So there's one supply chain there at that is affected either by by Brexit or is affected by uh, um, the war in Ukraine. You can see where why there would be a manufacturing problem. Right. So, you but know? but again, like so many things with our health service, this was flagged, and you know there, there was no provision made in some way. Uh, well, I don't know. No, the I, I'm not quite sure about the Irish uh, um, problem as it was flagged with the with the right. Irish authorities. But I mean, if it was flagged as an issue in the states, you can be sure that it was Absolutely. going to affect us now, at some point. There is a onus on the pharmaceutical or the, the pharmacists, the pharmacies, to report back to an agency here and I presume to the HSE or to the HPRA, the authoritative body, yes. to say, look. We're, we're have a, 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 we think or we feel there's a shortage coming in because we can't get hold of some of our medicines. You've heard there, Jimmy O'Sullivan there this yeah. morning speaking about the fact that he has to come in an hour earlier and go through his list of drugs. So yes. obviously, 
if they're not available, he has a mechanism of flagging that back up the chain. And more than likely, I can see from the HPRA that there actually there is some uh, levels of shortage from September, if you see it on the site there, and they're looking for expected dates. Uh, they're talking about early January 2023, February 2023, March 2023, or some yeah, it's, it's interesting. Now, I know that the amount of flu and respiratory illnesses and stuff hit them like a ton of bricks around Christmas time. Oh, you know, it was... Yeah. yeah. But like, if you look at it another way, the, the flu flocks now, which is the kind of... It's like a, it's an antibiotic. Mm. And that can be in a powder form, uh, especially for... for um, uh, to be mixed, uh, for obviously, for uh, intravenous uh, um, injections uh, when people come into a hospital looking for... Uh, that are very, very sick, we say. Yes. And that they need an intravenous antibiotic put in. There's a shortage in that. Wow. So this is a knock-on effect inside the hospitals as well. They can, they, do you know what I mean? That they may not have the full uh, supply of, of, of their penicillins to give the, the, the patients when they come in. Now, how, how scary would that be? You know? That's what it is. And that's down to a pure manufacturing problem, you know. Um, yeah, again, isn't it interesting though Pat over the last while we realise how vulnerable we are to what's happening oh, around the world you know we're on peripheral of, 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 of Europe yeah uh, Brexit is not helping us any way whatsoever for sure um, yeah no. Uh, and we're, we're a small to... market here of course as well which means we don't we have, have all that small. much buying power I suppose uh, the buying power is very, very important. Like, as I think Jimmy mentioned it there this morning, but the, the fact is that the drugs were uh, UK and Ireland. Yes. But now the UK has gone from that, cut from that. So Ireland are on their own, and they're effectively their little nation out there on the side of Europe. And, uh, That's incredible, isn't it? How, how is the diabetes with you, Pat? Oh, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah. That you. It, it's controlled by drugs, Joe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you have no... You, Right, so you don't have a, a big issue with it, but I presume you have to mind yourself and. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, like I had a very hard knock-on effect of, of diabetes, and that was that I had amputations. Yes, and yeah. uh, I lost a leg and lost toes because of of, of diabetes, and uh, that's not not. It's possibly the nature of the beast, as we'll say. Uh, some people they don't have that effect, and other people do. Of course, yeah. But I, I don't. Th- it's only when we hear people like you, Pat, that we realise the seriousness of diabetes. I don't think we take it seriously enough. No, no. It's only those that are that are even the people that are diabetic. Um, I, I possibly would be one of those people that years ago I wasn't taking extra care. Yeah. Uh, I was living a, a kind of a sedentary lifestyle. I was working in an office. Uh, it was easy going to get a, a bar of chocolate and a cup of tea at 11 o'clock for the Devonses and you know, the, break, the dinner's in would be go straight down for the dinner or whatever it would be and go back up and sit in an office for another three or four hours. You know, there was you, you're, des- you're describing my life now. You know that, Pat, don't you? Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's, that affects us all, you know. Yeah. But, um, no, it is, and, and, and people should. Like, I remember when I was diagnosed about uh, 20, 30 years ago, I'd say it was, and um, uh, there was one in four adults in this country here were never diagnosed with diabetes. They would just slip through the net. But now I think that when you do go into hospital and you're serious illness or whatever it is, you're act- they do take a blood test in and to see what it is, you know. Um, yeah. you know. If I was going to the doctor and I was getting my blood done on a regular basis, which they do for me, uh, every six months you get your blood done, they do the HB1AC uh, thing. That does see what your blood like over the last three months, you know. Yes, and, uh, diabetes, it seems to be one of the things, though, that they are getting a handle on. 
Yeah, but um, yeah, in fairness, now that, that that I was on uh, other types of insulin and other types of, of um, tablets, I've been on a range of tablets since I was diagnosed, and a range of, a range of medicine I put that with you mm. since I was diagnosed. Because you also have to look after um, your cholesterol. Cholesterol is a problem with diabetes. Your the heart is a problem with diabetes. Of course, yeah. uh, blood pressure, uh, and so like uh, included in your diabetic medication is your heart tablet uh, and your. Uh, cholesterol. Now, I did see that one of the, the, the cholesterol tablets is said to me this morning there on that HPRA website is uh, is one of the sh- one of the tablets that is in short supply, but it's not the actual dosage that I'm on. Right. No, I'm okay. Whatever it is, but it's the bigger one that that that, that is affected. Right. It's it's so great I, that you keep yourself so informed about it all, Pat. You know, to speak on it. I am retired, and it is a thing that keeps my mind active. Right. And I look up all information about everything. You know, yes. And, uh, because I got such a, a belt with this diabetes um, in 2019 by losing the leg and things like that, and it was all purely down to uh, vascular. Yes. Um, and, and, and the proliferants are the first thing that goes, you know, your neuropathy, your, your, it starts in your toes and your feet and it works up. And anybody that has pains in their toes, I would advise them that if they're not diabetic, go and get checked because. It could be an underlying thing. And, and Pat, will you take take this in the right way, but is it fair to say that if you looked after yourself maybe sooner or better, you wouldn't have had the amputation? Is that is that fair? Absolutely. To say? Right. Absolutely. And I don't, I mean that with the greatest respect, by the way, Pat, you know. Sorry? I mean that with the greatest respect, but that is fair I to say, is it? Uh, to be quite honest, your friend, uh, uh, there's another thing as a guess, that can happen with, with, with amputations or whatever the case may be, is that you, you, you may feel you look back in anger and you look back at right. whatever it is. Now, I'm not the type of person that looks back. I always look forward. And and because if you have to look back, you'll suddenly go into, di- um, what do you call it, depression. depression. And yeah, of course. Know, looked after myself, I'll do this, and I should have done this, and been solid for yourself. But that's not, then you're on another tablet that maybe, yeah, I know. you yeah. know, yeah. it's a vicious roundabout. You know, the only thing about it is that it, it, it happened when I was retired. So I had a good lifestyle, I put that with you. Yeah. Uh, was able to get around and it just happened when I was retired and look God is good we live another few years to see what the story is right, but know? the advice to people out there Pat I guess is look after yourself look after yourself and if you do feel that look at if you have a pain in your toe or whatever the case may be don't put it down to tight shoes or whatever it is look at it because the funny thing about those men and you know you're a man as well Frank, yeah, we don't yeah. go to doctors oh sure we're dreadful dreadful we're dreadful and, and like Women go to doctors because they're used to it. Yeah. But men don't go to doctors. I was just an old flu or whatever the case may be. And it could be an underlying problem that they have, you know. So. Yeah, so as I say, the message, look after ourselves. Uh, Pat, really good to talk to you today and we wish you well. Thanks, Pat. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Pat. Bye-bye yeah, to you now. Bye-bye. Uh, many happy returns to you. That's uh, Pat speaking to us uh, this morning. Mick from Clonmel was on to say, Charlie Hockey took 5,000 beds out of the system which were never replaced. Uh, another of his so-called great uh, legacies while he was feathering his own uh, greedy nest. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would agree with you uh, on that, that you can trace the A&E crisis and the hospital crisis back to the uh, 1980s. What's it? Rory O'Hanlon uh, was the health minister. Uh, at that stage, and um, you know, they they pulled huge amounts out of the uh, health service and never really recovered, I suppose, from that back then. Um, how do you feel about that? Oh, eight three three double one double three double one. Lots more into us. I'll have a glance through it and I'll bring it to you very soon indeed. Uh, back in just a moment. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now it's time for the latest in global politics and delighted to be joined as usual by politics and economics student Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. And uh, good to see you. We have to go to Brazil first of all with the shenanigans that's happening there. And there's huge shades of uh, comparison, I suppose, to two years ago in in uh, in Washington, is there now? It is worryingly reminiscent of yeah. the storming of the Capitol. Almost two years to the day that Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building in Washington. And we have effectively a repeat of that scenario in the Brazilian capital, Brasilia. Mm. Now, I was reading up a little bit about it. You know, I mean, Brasilia is a city, it's the administrative capital. It was actually built... It's a in new a, city, isn't a it? A new city, yeah. built in three and a half years, back in the 1950s, uh, to serve as the administrative capital of Brazil. But this latest, this latest incident is worryingly reminiscent and very similar to the storming of the capital uh, two years ago. Now, fortunately, police forces have managed to clear the scene and I think government has has retaken control. Lula out branding the, the supporters, the Bolsonaro supporters, as neo-fascists, yes. which is probably an accurate way to describe them. Bolsonaro has been silent thus, thus far on events, but certainly it is a very grim situation. I'm very worrying for yes. Brazil. I, I think on social media he did condemn the storming of the building, but he was sort of pretty silent in terms of his support still within Brazil. You know? He was, and yeah. I mean, he has remained so since his loss. I mean, he reluctantly, I suppose, eventually acknowledged the, the Lula victory, but has been strangely silent, really. And I mean, there is no sign that Bolsonaro will fade. The, the question now, I think, that people are asking is, Will he fade from the scene politically or will he remain around right. as and, Trump And, and just done? to remind listeners, it was a very close call in that election. Very similar, I suppose, to the Biden-Trump situation. Uh, again, quite similar. Yeah. Went to a runoff, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Lula eventually eventually snatched victory. Lula, of course, previously very popular during his first tenure as president. If people aren't aware, he served as president from 2003 to 2011. During a period in which Brazil, I suppose, benefited widely from a commodity boom and a, a thriving economy, it's very, very different this time round. He has a number of challenges on his hand. Certainly the inflation, economic yeah, challenge, yeah. inflation. You have deforestation in the Amazon, which is another bone of contention with the international community in particular. He's promised to restore biodiversity in the Amazon. But he has a lot on his plate. And this certainly demonstrates yes. that a cohort of the Brazilian population and a significant cohort as well are still in favour of Bolsonaro and would be opposed yeah. to Lula. And essentially it was a coup d'etat, or an attempted coup d'etat, I suppose. So where does it stand where the Defence Forces are concerned then? What's the story there? Well, I suppose the military was closely aligned with Bolsonaro. It was one of the key pillars of his support. Now, I think... At this point, I think, you know, it is said government forces have retaken control of the Planalto Palace, which is the presidential palace, 
and Congress in general. So, I mean, that is at least somewhat yes. reassuring. But it would be interesting to see the military's reaction to this to these events. I mean, and it would be interesting to see Bolsonaro's reaction, whether he comes right. out and speaks further on it and in the, the coming days. And the fact that the rest of the world has embraced Lula da Silva, um, I presume that helps in this situation. It does, it, it yeah. does. And look, you have various world leaders, from Rishi Sunak to Joe Biden to President Macron in France, coming out immediately and yes. condemning this attack, as you would expect. But yes, Lula will be closely aligned to them. I suppose he's much similar in principle. He's a left-wing president. Mm. That should be remembered, you know, espouses a left-wing ideological vision. But it's not too far left. And I think yeah. he has had to moderate his views and gravitate towards the centre in order to in order to win yes. the presidential a election. A tarnished by corruption charges. He though. is tarnished by corruption charges. He suffered a criminal conviction for corruption. Now, it was subsequently quashed. But Lula actually spent time in jail. Now, he will say he is exonerated, but I think shadows still remain around him. Clouds still hang over him. And I certainly... Bolsonaro supporters, Lula critics, will point to that criminal conviction yes. uh, and use it as leverage against him. Interesting to see what's going to happen there in the future, but I, I was also half amused to see that uh, Bolsonaro, he appears to be in Florida, so you'd wonder, is he hanging out with Well, <laughs> this Trump? is the thing, you know, and I mean, <laughs> they were the best of friends, they're very similar, you know, right-wing leaders. Yeah. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if Trump has a reaction to this. Won't it and And whether he, uh, whether he expresses an opinion on it maybe on his truth social platform. That will be interesting to observe as well. Wanted indeed. Let's have a look at North Korea because I'm always fascinated by what's going on in North Korea. Um, what about 2023 for North Korea? What, what should we expect? Yeah, well, first of all, it broke all sorts of records in 2022 and most of them were related to its nuclear programme. But North Korea, lest we remind people, the, probably, definitely, the world's most isolated state. It seems to pride itself off its reputation as kind of an international pariah. And I think most of the global community have next to no idea as to yeah. what really goes on. Because I was surprised. You were telling us 26 million people. 26 I million people. That. Like it seems, it seems, I think, to the outside world that all North Korea, all Kim Jong-un does is test nuclear weapons. But it is a country, it is a massive country. It is 26 million people. It emerged uh, post-Korean War in the 1950s as the wealthier part of the Korean peninsula. So it was actually wealthier than the South initially. And then the Kims came to power and I think devastated that wealth and that economic prosperity and have reigned in a, in a dictatorship since then. It is a very peculiar part of the world. Yeah. I mean, you have the Kims, Kim Jong-un now, obviously, his father and his grandfather before him, seen as kind of this mythical dynasty, uh, which are endowed with, with qualities of strength and valour and leadership. I mean, his father is still appreciated in a godlike way, isn't he? In a godlike way. And I mean, dead, I would assume Kim Jong-un intends to forge a similar reputation for himself. For himself. And that is the curious thing about the North Koreans. So, like, questions remain as to how much of the North Korean population actually know what was happening, what is happening within their country. You would suspect very little because their connection to the outside world is tenuous yeah. and, at best. And 26 million people, I mean, is it very poor? Are they living in great poverty? What, what is that? Well, Kim Jong-un has actually come out for the first time in the past few months. He has come out and acknowledged that food poverty is an issue in the country, that parts of it are at risk of famine, even, which is a devastating scenario. So I think there is 
a, uh, a Kim Kim is slowly coming to terms with accepting the fact that you know his his country is economically in absolute despair. And still the spend on weaponry is Still is the huge. spend on net weaponry. And if we just look some at some of the statistics in 2022, North Korea had a record-busting year, effectively. Kim Jong-un fired more nuclear mess- missiles than ever. He proclaimed North Korea essentially as a nuclear power. And then you have tensions on the Korean peninsula with yeah. the South, probably at their highest point since 2017. And that was the year in which Kim and... President Donald Trump engaged in that kind of, that rhetorical spat, that acrimonious rhetorical spat. Last week, we had the South Korean president, Yoon Suk-yul. He issued a warning to Kim that he would consider suspending a 2018 inter-Korean military pact if the North breached South Korean territory. That was subsequent to North Korea sending drones into the South, uh, which was another breach of that treaty. So, I mean... Yes, and and the relationship between Seoul and America, of course, has to be considered here as well, hasn't it? It does indeed, because, I mean, if we look back to what Kim actually got up to in 2022, earlier in the year he tested a suite of new new short and long-range missiles designed with the capability to hit South Korea. He followed up with a series of medium-distance missiles capable of targeting Japan. And then, by the end of the year, it had successfully tested its most powerful intercontinental ballistic missile to date. It's known as the Hwasang-17. And in theory, that missile is capable of reaching anywhere on the US mainland. So that is a hugely worrying development. And there is no sign that Kim Jong-un will stop. Uh, He seems quite intent on increasing the threshold, on on increasing his production of nuclear weapons. It's it's his flagship policy. It's his priority at this stage. And is this just narcissism and ego? Is that... Well, like, let's take a look at Kim Jong-un as a person. So, look, born on January 8th, 1984, question marks around that. We're not certain uh, around the specific age. But he rose to power at the age of 27, following the death of his father. He wasn't always the successor, but after a number of defections and a number of events within the family, he emerged as kind of the heir apparent. And I mentioned it before, the Kims are this divine dynasty. They have an almost mythical status in North Korea. But Kim was educated, like his brothers, in Switzerland. So a European education, he's no fool, is is the thing here. He yes. he, he isn't stupid. He is well aware of the world outside North Korea and well aware of what is happening inside his own country. But he's ruthless. He is absolutely ruthless. And, you know, he has attempted to project that image of valour and strength. He confronted Donald Trump with that war of words. Then we had this almost farcical scenario in which we had an international, two international summits between Trump and they seemed to forge this unlikely friendship. With little rocket man, as he used Little to rocket man, as Trump branded him. There were denuclearization thoughts. Initially, there was optimism around those yeah. thoughts. Trump even visited the demilitarized zone, which is the, DM, the DMZ, they call it, yes. the zone between North and South Korea. Those thoughts of talks have subsequently broken down. I mean, there has been little to no progress since 2019. Kim, I think, has been more occupied on uh, quashing any resistance within his own family. He's thought to have ordered the execution of both his uncle and the murder of his half-brother, following rumours that each may have been planning a coup of some sort. Isn't there a lot of talk about his sister as well? Is his sister some sort of a 
sort of dingbat as well. Is Th- that is yeah. that is another factor, yeah. you know. And, and we have, and we should also mention his wife, mm. a woman named Ri Soljoo. She was thought to be a, a famous North Korean singer, and the couple have three children. So, in essence, Kim Jong Un is kind of a total enigma. We know bits and pieces about him, but we've yet to really get the full picture. He's 37 years of age now, approaching 37 years of age. He's been more than a decade uh, in power. Mm. And still little is known about him and little is known really about what actions will he ever integrate North Korea into the international system. It remains relatively close to China and Xi Jinping, but, I mean, there are still huge question marks. Is he sound in power, though? I mean, are there any sort of, you know, complications around him that would lead you to believe that maybe somebody's looking to oust him in some way? A successor hasn't emerged, and he has done his utmost, his utmost to to quash any resistance, as I, you know, murdered, effectively, Mm, his half-brother, the execution of his uncle. So no heir apparent has emerged, but, I mean, it's North Korea. You can't write anything like that off. He assert there is certainly a, a possibility that somebody may emerge, given the state that the country is in at the moment. But, you know, again, we go back to the fact that they are perceived as an almost mythical dynasty. There is no real challenge from outside the family it's, coming at me time incredible. soon. Um, I just want to use our, our final five or six minutes to talk about, because it worries me what's happening in the Balkans at the moment, particularly when we look back to the awfulness of the 1990s and stuff. Uh, there's a little bit of instability, instability there again. Yeah, the there? situation remains extremely volatile. And we had, of course, remind, lest we remind people, the ethnic tensions in the Balkans following the breakup of Yugoslavia yeah. in the 1990s, unspeakable atrocities committed uh, on behalf of either side there. But over the past few months, there has been a slight escalation in tensions. And the epicentre of these tensions is Kosovo, which is a small state of 1.9 million people kind of on the border with Serbia. Serbia doesn't recognise it. It declared independence from Serbia in 2008, having broken away following kind of a war, a conflict in 1998-1999. But tensions between Pristina, the Kosovan capital, and Belgrade, the Serbian capital, have skyrocketed in recent months. And to give you an idea of what has actually caused them to flare, it was a dispute around car licence plates. Essentially, the Serbian government wanted all of the Kosovan population to use Kosovan-issued car licence plate. Now, the issue there was there is a small enclave of ethnic Serbs who live in the north of the country who were resistant to this. And, of course, it seems like a rather innocuous and almost petty dispute, Mm. but I think it just demonstrates how volatile and yes. how, how well, tense the, the, the situation is. The fact it is. came on the back of the uh, Russian involvement in, in Ukraine, did, did that trigger anything here? Did well, I... this is the thing. Serbia is one of the few European countries which I won't say has aligned itself with Russia, but its president, Alexander Vucic, has has been worryingly close to Vladimir Putin and has taken a, a kind of a very ambiguous stance on the war in Ukraine. He hasn't condemned it as such. He has positioned himself close to Putin, which is worrying. And the Serbian government then has come out and, of course, accused... Sorry, the Kosovan government has accused Serbia of effectively plotting terrorism against ethnic Serbs living in the north of the country.
My God, and and those of us of a certain age, we, we can remember well the awfulness of the 1990s and the dissolution of Yugoslavia. I mean, it was some of the fiercest uh, fighting, and, and you mentioned the the name that emerged from it, of course, Slobodan uh, Milosevic. Yeah, that, that, that was the, the Serbian leader, of course, at the time, yeah? Yes, indeed, indeed, and unspeakable atrocities committed, and you know, the Yugoslav war is considered probably to have been the bloodiest conflict to take place yeah. on European soil since World War Two. Now, we hope that it's not superseded by the war in Ukraine, but, I mean, all we can do is hope in that regard. Absolutely, because I heard this morning 600 um, Ukrainian troops were killed. That is the latest, probably the, the largest of the war so far. Absolutely. Um, you were talking to us earlier on, of course, about uh, Brazil and stuff. And just a, a quick look at uh, South America at uh, the moment, because uh, there's, there's fiscal issues, needless to say, in all of South America. Fiscal well. issues. I mean, Latin America is now enthralled to the left. There are various left-wing leaders we've spoken about, Lula. Uh, you have others, such as Gustavo Petro in Colombia. The biggest election of this year, however, will be the election in Argentina, which is now we have Argentina still celebrating its glorious World Cup triumph, but the country is reeling from economic and political crisis. There is an election at the end of the year which could be decisive and could spring another left-wing leader to power. Similarly, a June election in Guatemala could see a left-wing leader rise to power there. So a lot of different leftists in government now but the country is reeling from deeply entrenched fiscal and economic crisis. A lot of them have built up and accumulated an awful lot of debt and political polarisation remains extremely high. And I suppose that has been illustrated in Brazil over the past 24 hours. So, you know, there are challenges yes. ahead for South America And, and this I guess year. part of those challenges uh, would have to be climate change as well. And you mentioned the deforestation, for example, where um, Lula is concerned as well. That is a major yeah. factor. Climate change is a major factor. And you could argue that South America is one of the continents worst affected by it. Lula has promised to restore biodiversity levels in the Amazon. A lot of leftist leaders in South America would probably be sympathetic to that cause, but there's no guarantee that they will have the fiscal power, Mm. in other words, the money to do that, to address that, because we have to remember, if we just go back to Brazil, you know, it's a lot of Brazil's industrial and agricultural output comes as a result of deforestation. There is a reason they cut down trees. I'm not defending it. But, I mean, there is a reason these large cattle plantations yes. are there, uh, these large crop plantations. They cut down trees because they use the land to make money. So that has to be a factor, and you have to consider that. And government leaders will obviously be considering that. And, of course, we didn't even touch on the the huge drug issues. In well, this is another, well, this is another one. Discussion. What should we look out for in the, in the week to come, Thumbs? Yeah, one of the things is the subsidy battle between the US and Europe. I think I mentioned that previously, but... The US and the EU might be very strong allies and the best of friends, but when it comes to industry and green subsidies, the relationship is far from rosy. Last week, the French government hit back at America's green industry plan. It announced kind of a suite of new measures of its own designed to incentivise investment in France's industrial sector. And it was effectively retaliation to one of Joe Biden's flagship policies, which was the Inflation Reduction Act. Yes. That included a huge package for green subsidies for uh, for businesses. So this is a kind of a simmering bone of contention between the EU and the US. Look, they're not going to fall out indefinitely because of it. 
but it certainly is something to keep an eye on in the next week. We always keep an eye on what's happening in China as well. Um, what about that? Yeah, big year and brace for impact is how I've termed this one. You know, China's COVID surge, we have cases skyrocketing across the country. It was the headline on many news sites yesterday. Um, you know, COVID cases surging countries wondering whether to whether to impose restrictions on Chinese travellers. So that is another is another one to watch out for in the next right. week. And just finally, Thomas, we have to make reference to the election of the Republicans uh, speaker there and the controversy around that as well. Un- oh. Unprecedented stuff. Unprecedented. For Kevin McCarthy, fortunately for him, eventually got through after 15 votes. Uh, almost farcical. You know, it was kind yeah. of quite entertaining watching it. But it does highlight the fact that the Amer- or the Republicans have a very slim majority in Congress or in the lower house of Congress in the US House of Representatives. Now, it will be enough to make Joe Biden's life quite difficult. There is no doubt about that. But at the same time, when you have a slim majority like that in you of defectors within your own party, it still makes it difficult to get things done. It's very different having a majority of a couple of seats as opposed to ma- a majority of, say, 20, yes. 30 seats. So, you know, uh, Kevin McCarthy had to convince a small faction of support of uh, Republicans within his party to back him. He yeah. couldn't do so. And we, we might fully realise here the importance of that role of Speaker. I mean, it is vital, isn't it? It is, it is. It's the third most powerful yeah. position in the United States, second in line to the presidency after the vice president. So, you know, it's a highly prestigious position. It's one Joe uh, Kevin McCarthy has, has sought for much of his yes. career. He'll be delighted that he's finally in power, but you know, there are there are various ways he could be unseated. So uh, he is far from comfortable, I think. That's, that's for sure indeed. Thomas, is always a pleasure. Happy New Year to you and thanks for Happy coming Happy New Year, Fran. Thank you. Thank you. Thomas Conway speaking to us today about world affairs. We'll take a break. Uh, news is on the way. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, Call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on, on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to Tip Today. Now, one of our listeners on to say that Ozempic is not insulin. Only people with uh, type 2 diabetes are given this to improve their condition. Yeah, my understanding about it is that it's to help with uh, a weight loss, which is... Uh, very helpful indeed, obviously, if you are uh, diabetic. And uh, speaking of which, uh, listener on to us by WhatsApp to say, I'm on Ozempic for type 2 diabetes for the past 18 months. The side effects were very difficult at the start, but my body got used to it and it worked wonders for my blood sugars. I felt fantastic on it and all other ailments I had seemed to be healing as well. I haven't been able to get Ozempic for the past three weeks because of shortages. I'm feeling awful. My skin is breaking out. Sugar is getting high again and my mental health is suffering. I called my doc and uh, they're talking about putting me back on Metformin uh, which is a tablet which had awful side effects for me. I just can't believe we're being treated like this. I've rang other pharmacies and they won't give it to me because I'm not a regular 
customer there. So that's one of our listeners in great uh, distress over the lack of availability of uh, Ozempic. 083 311 Now, of course, as you know, we're with you every single weekday morning from 9, just after 9 o'clock this morning. I spoke to pharmacist Jimmy O'Sullivan from uh, Feathered um, regarding the worrying news today about the severe shortages of some medicines. So here's just a little of what he had to say to me just after 9 this morning. It's very, very difficult doing our job at the moment. If a GP, say, prescribes an antibiotic for a child and we don't have it, so then we have to ring the GP back, probably waiting, because they're so busy as well, waiting half an hour, an hour, for them to say, okay, give this instead. Um, And then we have a sick child there who's waiting for their prescription. So it's very, very stressful. But at the moment, there's a move to try and allow us as pharmacists uh, with our expertise in medicine to maybe substitute that antibiotic for another antibiotic yes, for, yeah. for that child. And that would make a lot of sense. But um, I don't know, there, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of opposition to that. Is there? And where, where does yeah. that opposition come from? It's coming from the Department of Health, I suppose, insofar as it's not an opposition, but they're kind of dragging their heels yeah, for a long yeah. time. I mean, we, like, we have a lot of expertise as pharmacists. Um, but we're not allowed to prescribe. Um, now, nurses are now allowed to prescribe. Um, so you have a, a nurse practitioner who can prescribe and they have a set number of uh, products uh, or medicines that they can prescribe, including, you know, the lower level, milder antibiotics. But we can't do that. So uh, trying to get the political move to get mm. that moving is it, it, quite difficult. We're the only one in Europe. Now are you serious? That, yeah, yeah. We're the only one that, that can't do that. In the UK... They actually brought in legislation, emergency legislation, a couple of weeks ago because of the strep A throat infection that was uh, prevalent in in around and that they could substitute without having to refer back to the GP. And that's Feathered Pharmacist Jimmy O'Sullivan speaking to me just after 9 o'clock this morning. 1800-938-007. Now, you mightn't be familiar with the term kin-keeping, but you'll have likely benefited from it at some point in your life, particularly if you're male. It's the invisible work, I suppose, that women do all of the time that goes without credit or thanks. In fact, it's just uh, expected, I suppose. The unpaid labour. Uh, that women are assigned subconsciously due to uh, gender. Now, particularly, you know, around Christmas time, which we've just uh, had, I mean, it seems that women take on the the, the main um, uh, part where organising that and making sure it runs smoothly, looking after the shopping and the wrapping and the organisation and all of that kind of thing. Well, Jen Hogan is a journalist with the Irish Times and also a mum of seven, and uh, she often speaks to us, and I'm delighted to say she's with me this morning. Good morning to you, Jen. And a happy new year to you and to your your lovely family as well. Um, Kin keeping, are you familiar with that term, by the way, Jen? I hadn't come across the term until I read the piece that was in the Metro in the UK. Um, But I I think me, like every other woman, is very familiar with the actual idea of what kin keeping is. And like you described there, this idea of the invisible workload that women take on, particularly around Christmas. But also, if you look at it, it, it's the sort of work that we take on all year round that it's maybe a, a gender bias or just a subcon- subconscious expectation that women will take on the work and look sometimes women are their own worst enemy they they automatically assume this role and as long as somebody's doing it there's no pressure on the other gender to do it of course know, a- and, and does it come from the fact Jen that your mother might have done it and her mother might have done it is it sort of passed down through the generations I think so. And, I, you know, I know we, we we sometimes argue, you know, that, you, and there's a lot of truth in it. It comes from that. But I think also 
we, you know, we talk about women being from Venus and men being from Mars. Mm. And sometimes we view things differently and we have different expectations and different standards and different um, priorities maybe even. And while everybody wants to have a lovely Christmas and a lovely home and happy children and a happy family, maybe we have different ideas about what's necessary for those things to happen. And I think even when women become mothers, it, it becomes an even bigger deal because they will worry about their child's emotional development They'll worry about things like play dates. They'll worry about how is like, Johnny Mixon in school. They'll worry about um, lots of the different things, the dynamics, maybe of birthday parties. They'll worry about a lot of the dynamics that happen in children's lives. What activities should I involve them in? What's developing every aspect of the child? Dad might be behind that, but <laughs> it, it, not perhaps in the same way. I don't know that fathers worry the same as mums do about how uh, how many play dates a child might have or are they being fair and how it's being distributed and we hear about mom guilt all the time we don't hear about dad guilt so much you know we hear about working mums we don't hear about working fathers so there's a very different societal expectation still of women and women play to that i, I mean not, not necessarily willingly but they they assume the role that's expected of them so our, our role in society has changed you know we it's great we have women in the workforce we have women knowing that in theory they can do anything they want but the problem is they're expected to do of course. everything whether of course. they want to um, or not you mentioned that women can be their own worst enemy and I've seen this in action Jen mm. when you know if a guy tries to do something he makes it back she says look when you go away I'd be better off doing it yeah. myself and you know <laughs> and I, I presume I'm, I'm not sure if that's deliberate on, <laughs> on the part of the male but but that is the case isn't it? would you go away and let me do it I'll sort it you know oh, I think that comes down to different level or different expectations yes. different standards yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is and that's being completely sexist in, re- in reverse there but I think there is a bit of that and I, I think we're all guilty of that and we know our friends can be a bit guilty of that and it's just easier in the long run or you ask them to go and find something and he'll tell you it's nowhere to be found and it's in the first place that you check. So there's sometimes this thing that we do these things because it's easier or we think it's easier or we think somebody else won't yeah. do it the correct way but we're taking on this huge workload and it's emotionally and physically draining and women are getting burnt out as a result and it's too much you can't have it all nobody has it all men didn't have it all either men had women picking up a lot of the slack which is why they could progress in their careers and do all the different of things course, that they were yeah. able to do but as we move towards equality we haven't quite got equality what we have is women just doing more and do you know what must be particularly maddening Jen is if a guy says to you I mean you're after doing this you're up to 90 you're doing all of these mm-hmm. things and they say calm down why are you being so around why are you getting so annoyed? I mean, that must be, you know, I mean, homicide would occur to you, I would imagine. <laughs> and I don't even think a judge, well, I don't believe a judge would convict a woman in those circumstances. But that does happen, doesn't it? You know, you know why, think, why are you getting so... <laughs> I think, again, I suppose it's because, and it's great that this conversation is happening. Maybe men just aren't really aware mm. of how much the mental load is that women carry and how much... Uh, of the extra emotional baggage that women carry, you know, and making sure that their their family, that their their family, their children, but their extended family as well, you know, the demands keep coming, you know, yes. and particularly as say women have children later in life, it's not unusual to be caught in this kind of sandwich generation where you're caring for older parents and you're caring for young children, or you maybe have teenagers going through that challenging time of life, and and then you're trying to hold down a job as well, possibly, and you're trying to do all be all things to all people and maybe maybe it's because we just do this silently or maybe we do it with the 
Oh, I'll do it myself, whatever way we, we <laughs> yes. do it. But maybe we have to, you know, we have to actually start calling men out on this and saying you have to take responsibility for this. You have to be part of this. There is more to it than just the practicalities and the, the physical and um, visible practicalities. There is the emotional side of things too. There is the, the mental load. That well, you do you know, I, I'm glad too. you mentioned that because that's one thing that jumped out from the article to me is that emotional labour as well that, you know, mm-hmm. often the romantic and the familial relationships, it's all left to the woman as well. Yeah. They remember the dates. They remember the birthdays, you know. And because, isn't it, this whole thing that, uh, oh, so women are better with that stuff. It's just inherent sexism, you know. And yeah. if, if this is true, then men need to work harder and get better at it because that's the only way we're getting there, you know. I remember, God, it was good, a long time back. And I, I, I do always remember birthdays and things like that. And mm. I'd always remember that. And I remember a friend of mine and he forgot my birthday. And I remember saying to him, uh, sorry, hello. <laughs> you can't forget these things. And, you know, oh, you know, women are better than that. I says, yeah, well, make sure you don't forget and get better. And I think that's just it. You have to get to, we have to demand more. And I think we can set a really good um, example to our sons too. And we have to be really conscious that we don't set this bad example to our sons and our daughters. Because if we continue to engage in this and continue to allow all these expectations of women. We're telling our daughters this is normal, this is acceptable, and we're telling our sons a similar message. So being unfair to both yeah. of them. And I, 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 come, I come out very badly. I mean, my kids are grown up now. But I was just looking at, at, at some, again, some of what emerged from the, 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 the article. I mean, knowing the size of your children's clothes, I never knew what what size, what size their clothes were, what size their footwear were. You know, you, you see, we... And that wasn't deliberate. It just it was never necessary, you know. It's funny. and like It's exactly said it. It's somebody else will remember. Yeah. And like my own husband, he's brilliant. He's a very hands-on dad. I would say the bar is set very low for men generally. And that's no disrespect. But there is different expectations of men. And he would be, you know, I'd, I'd say to him, one of the kids needs a new pair of runners or a new pair of shoes and he'll order the shoes once I tell him what size they are. The yes. same as I have, I would say happens in a lot of families. Yeah. But again, who has copped that the child needs new shoes? This is the sort of thing that happens. It's, it's mom, it's women, it's, and it's not just mothers. It, it's across the families, you know, in terms of taking responsibilities for elderly parents. It's often the daughter in a family who'll take on that responsibility, the adult daughter. It's across society. We're the ones... Who you may get other siblings or you may get men involved in actively sorting the problem, but it will largely be women who'll identify it as an issue in the first place. And we were talking about things that are very maddening. Is it hugely maddening when a dad might be praised for doing the school run, for example? I've seen a special <laughs> because he does that when, when you're doing it all of the time, if you know what I mean, you know? Isn't he great? Isn't he great? <laughs> is he lovely? Oh my God, the way he babysits his kids, you're so lucky. Babysits! They're his children. But yet we still have this whole different idea again. What 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 do we expect of men? What do we expect of women? How do you juggle it all? I mean, it's women who are asked this question. Nobody has ever asked my husband how he juggles it all. <laughs> and I get told, maybe the way you work with seven kids. Nobody says it's the other way around because they assume... And at the, risk of, the at the risk of starting a row, Jane... Is it possible that women are just better at this? I mean, is that a possibility? <laughs> we might be, but it's time that men then up their game, isn't it? We may well be, and we probably are. Yes. But that's not a reason not to not to invest in 
think self-improvement, the, the opposite sex needs to work now at improving themselves and self-aspire to be like women. I stand chastised, Jen, I really do. So it's called kin keeping if you want to start a row at the dinner table tonight. Uh, you, you can blame Jen on that. Jen, uh, happy new year to you and your family. And Thank you. you. Brand. Lovely chatting Thank to you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That's Jen Hogan there. Uh, a mum of seven herself. And um, of course, uh, writing for the Irish Times to 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery's Garage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, earlier on this morning, we heard from Joseph, who was in uh, Clonmel and came across a family in a tent. And we asked our own Alison to uh, go and find out what the story was and she's uh, back and she's all breathless as well. How are you, Ellie? Hi, friend. And thanks very much for doing that, Ellie. Can you can you give us the background to this? Yeah, so the story is, it's actually a family of five that's in this very small two-man tent. Now, when I went down, the tent had moved. It wasn't outside the post office anymore. It's now outside the council offices. Um, there was nobody there when I went down, but as it turns out, they were in, in the council offices themselves speaking to um, housing officials inside there. Um, the gentleman I spoke to, he's from Wales originally and he married a Clonmel woman and they have three children, um, all boys, five, six and five months old. So they've been staying in this tent for the last few nights. They've been homeless for a few months. They've been couch surfing friend to friend. Um, the last friend that they were staying in, there was a, a disagreement and they'd been asked to leave. But I suppose, you know, having five people in a house is it's, going to it's create. It's a big ask, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Um, they were very emotional, uh, very frustrated. Um, the mom, Annie, who you'll hear from in a, in a moment, said her five-month-old has a chronic cough and is constantly sick because they're sleeping, as you can imagine, outside in the cold and the wet constantly. She's always afraid for their safety. Um, she says they move around um, where they camp up most nights um, just so people don't um, I suppose identify where they are all yes. the time and they, they put a target on themselves but she did speak about and you'll hear her talking about um, the danger she feels every night of people approaching the tent and similar to the family that we spoke to in Nina as yes, well yeah. they're encountering that same kind of antisocial behaviour at night it's it's really unfortunate they, they found themselves in hard times they're looking for, for genuine help she said she's willing to take anywhere and she was under the impression that if she presented herself and her family to the council, that they then would be obliged to give them emergency accommodation. That doesn't seem to be the case. And what she's saying is that, now this is according to her, she's saying that um, in order to put their application forward for the council, they had to give an address. Obviously, being homeless, they don't have an address. So a friend of theirs was kind enough to give their address for correspondence. But because she was able to give an address, she says that the council have told her, well, this is obviously where you're staying, so you're not in need so of accommodation. So you have accommodation? accommodation. Wow. Yes, or they've suggested that she go and stay with a family member, but she said their uh, relations aren't great in the family, so that's not an option that's open to her. It's... 
it was very, you know, I, I felt they were very genuine people, very frustrated. They don't know where else they can go or what else right. they can do. And just tell us again, three children under the Three age children, of... all boys, five, six and five months. Oh and, you know, even trying to manage three kids in that situation is terrible. And even when I was there, one of the little boys actually soiled himself oh when he was there. Oh, the and they had nowhere to go to clean him up. And from what I could see, they had very little belongings with them either. Um, but just to, to hear her story, this is what she said to me when I, I spoke to her. Tell me your name, first of all. Um, my marriage name is Anna Penhowood. My maiden name is O'Connor. And Anna, yourself, your husband and your three children have been sleeping yeah. in a tent outside the council offices. How long for? Um, well, we've been sleeping in the tent um, all over, all over the town. But um, we sofa surfed in friends, we slept in the back of vans and then recently that friend moved, I stopped speaking to her and now we're back to the tent. My five-month-old baby, five-year-old son, six-year-old son. My five-month-old son is sick all the time, all the time from this. I've told the council that, they just shrugged their shoulders at me. Um, I have got down on my hands and knees and I have begged, please... I said, I'm not even begging for a house right now, even if it's just any sort of accommodation roof over our heads. I said, no. I said, what do you want me to do? They said, go back to sofa surfing. I said, even sofa surfing is not an option anymore. What's the reason they're saying that they don't have anything at all for you? They're saying, um, uh, Hap, is the, is the, you've got to show your help in yourself. And I said, but how, I need a helping hand, basically. Like, I need some sort of help along the way. Like, some, some people just do sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like it's not really my fault that I've fallen on hard times, you know, that's just life sometimes. But um, they're saying to me that, yeah, that they can only give me half. I said, what about emergency accommodation? I said, everyone around the whole town, like, yeah. that I tell my situation. And they're like, that's what they have emergency accommodation yeah. for. So I'm saying that to them all the time. And they're like, no, we don't have emer- emergency accommodation for the size of your family. So I was like, I never heard of that before. Never. I was like, I've got three kids. I was like, I'd even buy, go and buy my own cot. Do you know what I mean? Um, no, no, no. Um, kept on crying please is there something you can do for me just there now again in there crying please will you do something for me no go look I said I've um, the hospital um, we went up there I think it was Friday and Saturday I'm not 100% sure and they actually there was a lovely nurse up there she felt sorry for us and she actually paid for two nights in a hotel amazing um I told them while we were in the comfort, um, that's when we started applying like for places, you know, just to show them, look, we, we yeah. will do something, but like we only want a roof over our heads while we're actually trying to help ourselves, you know what I mean? Like yeah. some sort of accommod- emergency accommodation. Um, yeah, here's more new ones. I was like, come on, like this is, excuse my language, taking, it is taking the piss. Like we're showing you that, we're showing you that we're trying to help ourselves mm. while you could like give us a helping hand too, do you know what I mean? But then all we're trying is more papers. Are you at the stage now where you take anything just to get a roof over your heads? Uh, yeah. 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 Like, I did say at the start, um, because I've had um, letters signed by my doctor and my husband um, about our mental health. Like, we've had a lot of severe mental health, like depression, anxiety, um, suicidal thoughts a lot. They know all that. They've seen all the papers. Every time I say that to them, did you see, did you look at my, pap- my papers that the doctor signed? Yeah, seen it. They don't want to hear no more about it. Um, and the doctor signed on there because I have a problem with unfamiliar places, like places I'm not familiar with. So I, and my children have already moved school back last year, and they didn't like it. Like they were crying every day inside it. So I brought them back to St Peter and Paul's, um, and that's where they want to stay. That's why I was saying for those two reasons, like I would prefer a place in Clonmel. And then at the time they said that's very hard. 
I don't know how many times, because we have all the time in, in the world to walk around and do nothing. I don't know the amount of times I've seen empty buildings. Just prior park up there by the train station, all empty houses. The wilderness, I've seen empty houses. Do you know what I mean? I've seen empty houses all over. There was a cousin of mine here a few days ago who walked in handing in keys of a house. And he turns around and he goes, oh, that's the first cousin of mine who's living on the street. He goes, I'll hand her the keys of my house. Sorry, that's not how it works. Like, it, I, maybe that is just how it is, yeah, but still ridiculous. Like, seeing me on the street and not, I don't know, I feel like there's more that they could just do. How are you managing in a, looks to me like oh, a two-man tent it's, with three No, kids. it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We don't sleep. We don't sleep in case anyone like comes around the tent or anything. That it happened last night. We were sleeping around the corner. Um, how can I explain it? It's across from my kids' school actually. It's filled with benches, and um, we tried to look for places where, like, say, if anything was to be robbed, like people would be driving past and they could see. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then um, uh, another night, someone literally was literally urinating on the tent. We had to move the tent. Um, last night, someone was like around the pram. So we stayed in there for a few minutes. Like I was really scared, but then um, that's why we came around here. We, we thought we thought to ourselves, like, how come the whole time we didn't just tent, camp outside the, the council? Because the first thing they said to me is, go to your mother's. Like they 100% believe I'm living in my mother's. I said, get like obviously my mother's phone number. I said, get in contact with her. Um, they believed that another stage that we lived in another address because they needed um, uh, somewhere to send letters. So he knew of someone that the man said, look, he was like. I might get in trouble for this, but if you need somewhere to send letters, he goes, you can send them here. Once we were accepted, they turned around and goes, um, no, we believe that's where you're living. Got a letter from that man to prove that we, we aren't living there. But then you're in a, a circle then of, you have to have an address so they can keep in contact oh, with you, but the second you give an nightmare. address... Yes, yeah. yes, that's, exa- that's exactly what I said to them. I said, it's almost like you're trying to trick us, like out on something that you can't trick us out on, but still, like, they're very intimidating in there. Very intimidating. So even when you're ex- explaining your situation, they're just like, death staring you and like you know if you cry they'll tell you that you're abusing them I'm like I'm, I'm, maybe it sounds like I'm raising my voice because I'm crying do you know what I mean I'm not shouting or I'm not like saying um, bad words or you know anything like that but I do cry yeah I can't help it when I when I told them that um, I had been to the guards and I had told them I'd been to the hospital because I ran out of choices so I didn't know what else to do they said um what are you doing going to the guards and what are you doing? Well, I told them. What are you doing going to the guards and what are you doing going to the hospital? Sure, what are they meant to do for you? You're just going around in circles. You need to learn how to help yourself. I was like, what What am I meant to do? Like, what actually am I meant to do in a tent? Three kids, one of them being a five-month baby, just not five-month-old baby. There's not much you can do for yourself, apart from look for help off other people. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah. Uh, so, what, what are you going to do now? I, I'm at a loss. I feel like I'm at a loss. Like... I, I'm just gonna have to keep going in, aren't I? But in the meantime, like, it's, I'm like I said to them now. I said, like, what does it take for like one of my children or someone to die before you just say, oh my god, I didn't realise I was that serious? Do you know what I mean? That is what it's actually going to take. Because I told her how sick my child is. She just there staring at me. She's like, yeah, go and she she, re- she talks over what I'm saying. Because I'll say my my child is so sick, and she'd be like, now these are new ones that I've printed out. Do you know what I mean? Like not taking no heed in what I'm saying or my situation whatsoever. I've never I've never seen like. I don't know, such cold-heartedness in my life. Like, it feels like none of them have a heart in there. I'll ask to talk to another person then, no thinking someone else will listen to me. No, sorry, I'm the only person you can speak to. So they won't let me talk to anyone else in there. You feel like you're getting nowhere. Yeah. That's very harrowing, Ellie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
and lovely people and the kids were, were lovely, lovely kids just falling on hard times and just they can't seem to get help but anywhere. nothing for them? Apparently not. Now, look, I know there's always two sides to everything and we're going to seek a statement as well from the council, but I suspect they'll probably say we can't comment on individual cases, which would be yeah. the normal reply. Um, but, but you would think, I mean, for a family in that situation with a five-month-old baby and, yeah. and two other small kids, that there would be some type of emergency accommodation available and to you them. And you were saying to me, Ali, it's cold. Freezing, you know, freezing down. Cold. And today, this morning, it's freezing down there. I can't imagine what it was like last night and the rain pelting down as well last night and then it's lit. It's a situation we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to talk to a woman like that in that uh, Absolutely. And, and, and the woman is very articulate as well. Lovely lady. But, but heartbroken, yeah. you can hear Completely. It, you? And yeah. just doesn't know where to turn. Ali, thanks very much indeed for that. Thank you. Uh, 1800-938-007. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, you might remember we spoke to Clonmelman, Luke Ahern, during the summer. He is head chef at the Corrigan Collection in London. He's been nominated for an award in London, along with uh, two more chefs for the Mayfair Hospitality Hero Awards. I'm delighted to say that he joins me now. Luke, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Many congratulations on the nomination, Luke. This is a very big deal, isn't it? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty cool one, uh, to be honest. I didn't really, um, I didn't really expect it because it uh, usually goes to people that have been in the industry for for years and years. So um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty chuffed with this one, to be honest. But yeah, I'm looking forward to to going, seeing what it's like, meeting a lot of people there as well. Um, around Mayfair, which is which is pretty pretty special, to be honest. And just to remind people about Mayfair, I mean, this is this is a very high end uh, area, is it not? Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. Like, so Mayfair is like the the, the high end part of London where it's buzzy. The industry is really coming back there as well. And I think, to be honest, I think that's why um, I've got recognised for it because we we had a really good year at Corrigan's and brought in a lot of new business. Uh, kind of took a different take to the restaurant and it's in a bit more modern compared to what it was and uh, a lot of people were struggling with staff wise all year I mean we struggled a little but I mean I, ma- I managed to build a good team around me and yeah I think that's why that's the main reason I think I got recognised for this just building the team getting uh, getting the getting the place buzzing again because it, it did die due to COVID a bit and I think it's it's in the last year or so it's, it's really come back It's a, it's the area is buzzing it's it's a it's a real special place to walk around. Uh, tell me about the nomination itself. How how does that work? I mean, did people come into your restaurant undercover, I, so to speak, I, or how does that work? Be, be, being honest with you, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I, I, I literally, I, I have no idea. I just got this email saying you've been nominated for this award. I was like, oh great, nice. Um, but I think it must be obviously Mayfair's. Even though Mayfair is quite a big area, it's a very tight community. Mm. Um, and Mayfair Times are, are, uh, is a magazine that goes out. It's, I think it's been around for like 36, 37 years now. Um, and they, they hold these community awards every year. And 
obviously it has a, a bunch of different categories. And I suppose being being a being being one of the leading restaurants in Mayfair, we're always kind of on the radar for things like mm. this. And mm. it, it could have just been that the, there's a few people from from there at lunch one day, at dinner one day, like what I was doing. I really I really don't have an answer for you, but I'm just guessing now. But right, of course, I think yeah. Every, Everyone kind of everyone Mayfair is a very tight tight knit community. So everything that happens in Mayfair, you know about, you know. And and like these kind of awards. I mean, if you're lucky enough to be awarded uh, on Tuesday, I think it's the seventeenth. Is it Tuesday the seventeenth? Yes. The award has been made. Uh, yes, next Tuesday. Next, next Tuesday. Yeah. Is is that very useful for you then in in, I mean, in, in yes, the restaurant? Of course. I mean, being being recognised in the industry for anything really is 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 all is always going to boost your profile. Yes. And, and get you more recognised. So yeah, even the nomination in this category is amazing. I mean, the winners of before previously have been have been high. I know Angela Harrison won it a few years ago, and she's she used worked for Gordon Ramsay in the nineties and stuff, and has has gone on to own her own restaurant empire. So so getting nominated in this category is is a pretty special one because it it puts me in with a lot of the like leading industry people, which. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's nice. I'm not oh, going to lie, it, it, it's brilliant altogether. You you spoke about emerging from COVID, and I suppose the trials and tribulations of that. Are you back to pre-COVID business now at this point, Luke? Yeah, I mean, we 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 had a fantastic Christmas period. We were we were so busy, uh, pretty much full lunch and dinner every day from November December. So yeah, I think I think it's definitely back. Um, obviously January takes a bit of a hit, like it does everywhere. But I, I definitely think we're 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 back to back to pre-COVID times. It's you don't see the the hit of that anymore. There's no, there's no, everyone wants everyone wants to go out and enjoy themselves, have a nice dinner, have some drinks. You know, it's every it it, it, it was a great it was a great uh, December, and it was really it was a really buzzy place. The restaurant was full every day. Music was going. If Richard was around, it was loud. Um, but yeah, it, it was uh, it was it was good. It was fun. Uh, it's great to to know that uh, we're we're still hearing, I suppose, about uh, difficulties with inflation and cost of living. And as are you, are you sure enough that twenty twenty three might might be good for you, or is it a case that we spent all the money now at Christmas and we're going to mend our um, ways for a while? I think I think January is is always going to be a bit of a hit yes, for everyone. Yeah. January is January is 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 a quiet month everywhere. Like you walk, I walked the streets of London. I walked around the other day, and it was it was it was dead. It was so quiet compared yes. to what it used to be. Um, but I do think towards the end of January, February, February is going to pick up. I mean, we've got a lot of business coming in as well. So it's just about us us pushing pushing what we do, making sure we're doing it to our ability and. And ensuring the customers want to come back. I mean, like I said before, regular customers coming back to me every week is is what I want, and I I do my best every day to ensure they come back. So that that I think I think it will. It might. It, there's a lot of talk about it being a tough year, but I mean, it's it's how you respond to that as well, and it's what you do about that. I of course, that's, that's and and the availability of produce and all of that. I mean, with Brexit and and the like, there, there's no problem there, Luke, is there? Um, there, there was a little. Obviously, like produce shortages did happen. Yeah. Um, I'm looking. I'm lucky enough to have built a very good relationship with a lot of suppliers over the years, which ensures they kind of seek out stuff for me. Um, and what I'm looking for, if if I've, I've got a guy called Arno, that that. Usually in the markets in France, and he texts me to say, "Oh, I've got this 
you know, I'm not going to get it anywhere else. Yeah. Um, it, it, is, it has been difficult, but I think it's all about the relationship you build up with people to ensure you can you have you have the right people looking for the right produce for you. If you just if you just rely on going to the shops and just rely on just standard, then you're you're going to have issues. But if you if you're smart about it, have good relationships with your suppliers, have a few different ones for each one. I think you'll be okay. Well, we'll be looking out to see what happens on the seventy. But we're very proud of what you're doing over there, Luke, and we wish you the very best in the awards. Anyway. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks. Great to talk to you as always. Thanks, Luke, and a happy new year. Luke Ahern there, Clonmelman, head chef at uh, the Corrigan Collection in Mayfair in London, which is a very big deal, I can tell you, and uh, being recognised for his uh, excellence in all things uh, cuisine and fair play indeed. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is one. Now, previous research has shown how more people say they remember childhood trips more than birthdays and uh, only one in four children talk to their parents about something that matters more than once a week. Now, following years of pandemic challenges and restrictions and all of that kind of thing, it's now important for families to get out of their comfort zone and uh, parents are being urged to put wee time escapes high on the agenda for the family calendar, particularly ahead of midterm and this new bank holiday that we have as well on February the 6th. Shannon joins me now. Shannon, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. and really good to talk to you, Shannon. Would you go along with that, that, you know, we time with a family and trips together and that, that it's very, very important? Oh, jeep, I would, yeah. Like, as I always say, I don't remember half the things that were bought for me as a child, but you'd always remember, you know, the last you had on a day out or the funny things that might have happened or there were a lot more of the memories than any toys that you would be bought to keep you quiet. Isn't that interesting? And here we are, you know, every Christmas we're all sort of standing in queues to get whatever the latest fad is, but it's the simple things that, that are remembered. Oh, definitely, yeah. And, do you know, I mean, is that something that families need to keep in mind all of the time, Shannon? Yeah, I do. I think myself, like, life is just so hectic. It, it is hard if you're both working and stuff to fit it in, but it is it's very beneficial. Like, I find with my own kids now, if they're cooped up, you know, if they're at the child minders all week or if they're at home with one of us, they're just, they go off the rails. Like, And I normally just get their puddle suits on them and bring them off down to Clonay or somewhere and let them run the length of the beach and they love it. It's incre- and, and and there's the most simple thing that, that children can do is just run and play and be be given that opportunity, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I don't believe in... I, in my house, there's no PlayStations or tablets or anything like that, so it's kind of all outdoor stuff I try and do with them. So they're always talking about, like, if anyone comes in to visit, they're like, oh, we went here and we went there and we saw the duck. You know, so. Isn't that great? And you deliberately don't have them with tablets or any of that kind of thing, screen time? and Yeah, before they go to bed every night they get to watch a movie, but other than that I kind of use like Play-Dohs and, you know, kind of learning toys and stuff like that. I think I think that's brilliant, but do you get much hassle about it? Oh, people are always telling me, if Joe's are acting up and they're being a bit temperamental, oh Jesus, just give them the tablet and they'll sit mm. down and they'll, and I say no, no, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> yeah. And what is your big fear about that, Shannon? Um, I've seen other kids that would be close to me, family members that are just 
addicted, a hundred percent addicted. That never come off it, and when they come off it, they're moody, and I just I don't know. Right, and it stops them from getting out and playing, yeah. I suppose, and the yeah. the basic things that that kids should be doing. Yeah, like I'd be at the playground in my back garden for them because I knew from the time I had my first child, I knew I wasn't going down that road. So I have like a fenced-in area every summer. They're just put out there and they just play away all day. And that's the end of that story. And do they get anything from their friends to say, you know, oh, you're you're different because you're you're not up to speed with the latest games or the latest fads on screens? Well, you see, my oldest is just in play school. He's in his first year. Ah, place, right. So. Okay. He does come home and talk about, oh, can I watch YouTube? But that's about it. Right, right. So already, though, he's hearing about this, and yeah. What? What? Yeah, I'm just thinking, particularly at Christmas time. I'm sure a lot of parents were under pressure to buy phones and uh, to buy tablets or laptops or all of that. Oh yeah, um, I don't know. I think it's getting younger and younger. Like you see, kids now of like eight or nine years with iPhones. Um, I don't know, maybe in my opinion will change in a few years' time, but at the minute, I'm just completely against it, simply because of the predators that are out there. Like. Right, and that's your big fear, is it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the bullying, and like you see so many suicides with kids from bullying and stuff online, so I just, I don't know, I stay away from it. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one for parents of young kids. I mean, I don't envy it. I was saying earlier on, my kids are are grown up now, and I, I'm kind of delighted about that because it's becoming more and more difficult, Shannon. Well, it is definitely yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think kids are a bit softer. Like you know, our generation, we could take a lot, and kids these days, I think they're a lot softer than we would have been. Yeah, it, it, they're not as resilient. You mean? Is yeah. that it? Yeah. They're more sheltered or something. I don't know. We were just kind of. Knocked out in the morning as well. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and look at the fantastic way we turned out, Shannon. <laughs> this is really good to talk to you, Shannon. Yeah, you too. Fan. And, and a happy new year to you and your family as well. Thank you, you know, for coming on with us today. Thank you. Bye bye to you. That's uh, Shannon speaking to us today about that new research. Uh, telling us what we already know, I suppose, in a lot of ways that, you know, we tend to remember childhood trips and family occasions as opposed to big birthday presents and Christmas presents and all of that uh, kind of thing. Now, uh, a big response to uh, that report from Alison. She went down uh, to the town of Clonmel to meet with that uh, family that are in a tent, uh, five five people in the family uh, uh, mother and dad and uh, three very young kids indeed. Liam is with me now. Liam, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Welcome back. Uh, thanks very much, Liam. Good to talk to you. You were listening to Ellie's report there. What what did you make of that? I found it most upsetting. Um, I was thinking immediately of the children, the five-month-old and the other two children, and a very articulate lady who, who uh, Ellie was interviewing. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I... Um, I, I can't understand how articulate she was, in fact, considering the circumstances she finds herself in. But I have to say, um, I think it's a disgrace this day and age. That's the old, we say that a lot, this day and age. But that, that is disgusting what, what, that a family like that are left in a tent. And then they go to the county council and I don't know all the details from, from, but from what I heard of that lady. And as you know, there are two sides to every story. Mm. But that lady was saying she she felt she wasn't being listened to and she looked for somebody else to speak to. And the person who was speaking to her said, no, I'm the only person that can speak to you. When you're vulnerable and down, you need to be 
at least showing that I care, I care about you, or we care about you. But just uh, putting up that blank to me yes. is... As you say, and you make a very good point by saying, you know, there's two sides to every story. But I found it very strange that if you're homeless and you present yourself as homeless, they, they insist on you having an address that they can deal. I mean, sure, that doesn't make sense at all. But there's no logic to that. That's common sense going out the window straight away. No, no logic to that. And then if you if you manage to uh, ask somebody, can you use their address, then they take from that that uh, this might be availability uh, f- for for you to go and live yeah. there. You know that's yeah. You know, if that's the type of people she has to deal with, I'd question. I would question the whole system. I mean, there's no logic to that. Common sense is not involved here at all. I mean, common sense will solve a lot of uh, situations. I'm looking at the screen in front of me, Liam, and I presume it wouldn't surprise you that, you know, people are bringing up the point that we seem to be better able to look after people coming into the country. And I'm saying that very carefully now, uh, yeah. but that's the general consensus out there. Do you, do you see something in that? Um, I do, and I'm reluctant to comment on it <coughs> because there are various <coughs> circumstances, and particularly in the war situation. But... <sighs> I was always brought up with look after <coughs> look after your own first, mm. <coughs> you know. And um, look, we have to look after everybody. Yes, I will. I, I would predict that this family will be looked after. Do you think so? Oh, oh yes, they will because what? of the media pressure, the pressure you're bringing to bear on, and rightly so. You're doing the right thing. And that man who brought you, uh, to your attention earlier on this morning, Joseph, yeah. was Johnny mm. or, or Joseph, Joseph, yeah, yeah. Uh, fair play to him. But this will be solved in a week's time. I guarantee you, <coughs> you will say this has been solved. But why does it have to go to that and the strain and the stress and the indignity to that lady and her family? You know, it's... it's, it's oh, yeah, And, and just... she was so, as you say, very eloquent. I couldn't imagine her raising her voice or being abusive yeah. to, to the people in charge or anything like that. You know, she was making the point yeah. that her, her family are struggling. Yeah, and I noticed Alison's comment, a lovely family. Yeah. yeah. And the children. I, I mean, I'm nearly crying about the children there. Yeah, yeah, five months old, and the, the oh five-year-old soiled himself oh while they were there, and yeah. there was nowhere to look after him. And you know, and where are our politicians? And um, I'm non-political, and I don't live down that part of the, or I, I'm up in the North Tip. Yeah, if that was something different, you'd have your local politicians, and you know who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. would be in from Clonmel and beyond about it. Where are they now? I'm not going to say anymore. No, no, but I mean, you're making a very good point because yep. it it appears from the lady speaking now that she's she's alone. She's on her own in this fight, yeah. al- along with her partner. You know, she's yeah, yeah. Get on to the council. Get them to do it. Get to the county engineer. Yeah. Get to the minister. Tell them this has to be. Look, oh, this is disgusting. Substance is disgusting. Shocking. It's a huge outpouring. And again, they're using words like yourself there, Liam. They're saying it's shocking, it's inappropriate, it's a disgrace. And that's the general consensus out there. And a lot of people saying as well, and again, making the same point as yourself, where are the local representatives on this and who are they representing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. See, there are no votes there. Do you think that it's as cynical Uh as that? Oh, of course. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's very sad. I just... I just wish those people would be looked after, that's all. Yeah, well, I, I, I hope so as well, uh, Liam. I, I, I was also trying to think back to, you know, when I was younger around Cashel and stuff, there wasn't a homeless problem. They're, they're... 
Well, I'm not, in not I can't remember anyway. You know? Yeah, I, I couldn't remember. I know I can't remember that either. And I tell you what, I can never remember. People in tents at night sleeping. Yeah, I, 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 I don't remember that either. Yeah. No, I don't remember it. No, I don't. And and for council houses, you got on a list, and eventually you got a council house, as we did ourselves. Yeah. I mean that. Yeah. That was the way it was, you know. I think it's bureaucracy. Uh, look, in a in a company in a business. The manager goes in and he runs the business. And if there's things to be done, he does it or he gets his staff to do it. That's it. You do it. You don't be looking over your shoulder. What's in it for me or what will I gain over or I won't again. You do your job. Yeah, if, if, as you predict, something will be done for this part, uh, family, isn't it a pity that it's only because Tip Today or Tip FM goes down and does something? It, it shouldn't need that, you know? No, it shouldn't need it that. It shouldn't need no. that. I mean, this is, this is, there's a lack of empathy from the council, obviously. Now, I, as I said, I don't know all the facts, but it would appear to me from what I've heard in the last 15, 20 minutes, yeah. lack of empathy, and uh, we don't care. And, it's and not the our other, problem. It's the, not our problem. The other interesting point, I'm wondering, do you see this in North Tipperary as well, Liv? I mean, the, the the lady in question, she was able to point to houses that are vacant in places, yeah, you know? I know. It's in every it's in every town, it's in every countryside. Uh, I, I regularly, when I'm passing, I said to my partner, I drive, look at that house. It's mm. derelict. Yeah. It's sad and people homeless. Yeah. It's so sad and there's so many of them. And there's all this red tape that it has to be brought up to a certain standard before they let people back in. I mean, sure, if you're living in a tent, you don't care. You'll go yeah. in. The bureaucracy of it, um, Fran. If there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. You know. Yeah. If you want to do it, you'll do it. Get up and do it. All right, Liam. Well, lovely to talk to you as ever, Liam. And, and, and you look after yourself. And thank you so much for coming on with me. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank God bless you, Dan. Bye-bye to you now. By the way, an email has been sent to the local authority for a response where this is concerned. And uh, at the moment, we're, we're awaiting that. Um, uh, one of our listeners on to say the silence is deafening on this from our politicians. Well, in fairness, I suppose we only um, broke the story about an hour ago. So uh, as we get some response from councillors are from TDs, we will bring it uh, to you. Um, one of our listeners saying the situation with that lady and her family is outrageous. Obviously she's at her wit's end. Uh, where is our Catholic Church? Uh, where in our Catholic Church does it say we are allowing a mother to be treated like that? Even Mary and Joseph were taken into a stable. And now in 2023 this is happening. Somebody else uh, saying, where are the TDs and our public reps? Um, this woman and her children sleeping rough is an absolute disgrace, says uh, one of our listeners today uh, as well. So as I say, a big, big reaction indeed uh, to this on our social media. Another listener uh, saying, absolutely shocking altogether. I have to say, listening to that poor misfortunate lady uh, speaking to Ali, whatever about the circumstances surrounding all of this, there are three children in the middle of it. Uh, shame on the council for being so hard-hearted and unhelpful. Well, we we will uh, hear from the council. As I say, we've looked for a statement uh, from them. Um, uh, the solicitor goes on to say, we have uh, people voluntarily offering roofs over the heads uh, of Ukrainian people. What about our own uh, Irish people. You see, th- this is what troubles me, is that it shouldn't be either or. We should be, 
you know, we should sort out our own people. We should be able to invite people in here if we can look after them. And, and that's uh, the way it should be. But in the case of last week in County Clare, we had Ukrainian people sleeping in tents uh, as well. So it's not all rosy for one particular group, uh, I suppose. Right. A huge reaction to this. I'm sure we'll be getting back to it on the programme tomorrow. In the meantime, that's it for me. Emma produced Ali, looked after our content, including that uh, report from downtown Clonmel today. Uh, Stephen's on the way with the time tunnel, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. You look after yourselves, won't you? Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 